I am Mike and welcome to another episode of the Pop Culture Pausecast. I am here as optimistic as I always am. And it wouldn't be an episode of the Pop Culture Pausecast without Bill because Bill is also a part of the Pop Culture Pausecast. So how are you doing today, Bill? Um, I'm depressed. Why is that? Because we're talking about PlayStation 1. And what what's what? depressing about the PlayStation 1? Too much. Too much for one podcast. Too much. Friend, Mike. Are you Too not much. friend? Are you not a fan of the PlayStation One? It's just, uh, yeah. That, I've just explained it there, really, and I. It's just too. Uh, it's too. But uh. for, for for the people that don't understand, I guess I can go into explain explaining a little bit. I am a Sega Saturn fan, right? Trying to nail down top ten PlayStation games is. Like trying to figure out the top, I don't know, a hundred Sega Saturn games because the Sega Saturn has so many more top class games that are actually got personality and everything else that I just don't associate a lot of a lot of fun and good times with the PlayStation One. N- not to mention, there's a few crossovers here, so the. the and people don't even realise there's certain games that were released on the Sega Saturn that were also on the PlayStation. So I just don't, I don't really associate them with it. But if I didn't put them in my top ten, then technically I wouldn't be doing a top ten for PlayStation justice. Even though I look at that game and go, "That's a Sega Saturn game." It's not really. It's a PlayStation game. So yeah, you just you just tortured me for a couple of hours while I put this together, Mike. So. Um, Congratulations! I know you you love this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, I I a lot of games that are on both consoles run like ass on the Sega Saturn compared to the PlayStation anyway. So again, look, they don't they don't run like ass. Okay, that's a that's a popular misconception. There's strengths and weaknesses to both. The truth of the matter is they run on like ass on both. There's there's a few exceptions to that. Probably Destruction Derby and Wipeout runs like ass on the Sega Saturn. But then when you've got things like Tomb Raider, the water effects on Tomb Raider is much better on the Sega Saturn than it is on the uh, PlayStation. Because they actually have illumination effects. So when you go underwater, it looks like, you know, all the, all the backgrounds and all the things are moving with the particles of light underneath. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be a tough one, Mike, and I, I'm going to lose all credibility. And you, I know you've orchestrated all this to destroy my career. So thank you very much. So I think I think whilst um, whilst um, half of the podcast are being a, ne- a negative Nancy, as as it was put, um, I, I think it is best <laughs> to keep things um, you know positive and talk about uh, the PlayStation, um, which I if this was a top if I wrote this top ten about uh, you know. 15 years ago, it would just have Shrek on there, but you know, that was the only game I'd played at the time, but I'm, I'm seasoned, I've done my research, I've played the games, and I can confirm that there was no, there's a reason I didn't beat that game, and that's because it was terrible, uh, so... <laughs> Be inter- we, uh, you got nothing but negative memories of the PlayStation One. Why are we putting ourselves through this? Mike? Yeah, from that one game that I, I'd played at the time. But me and Bill have both got our own separate top ten lists, where we will go through the entirety, and afterwards we will try and make a completely ridiculous top ten list that is amalgamation of both of our lists, and hopefully 
we, it won't be too taxing and we'll actually have some games in common. Those things always go well when we try to amalgamate our lists. I'm looking forward to that part. That, because that, because we're so we're so different. I know yeah. I know we're going to rehash our Super Nintendo argument when when we get to when we get further up the list. Um, which one we had quite a few that day <laughs> yeah, well, i think we'll we'll uh we'll get to it when we get to it can i can i begin before we start the list can i go through my caveats yes just to get them off my chair? and then i might be able to be a, bit, a bit more positive if people can understand what made me put this list together the way i have okay first of all first of all caveat number one of three there are some old games that i still haven't played to this day and they may appear on this list i'll okay. let the viewers decide whether that is the case and they consist of parasite eve 2 vagrant story rage racer mdx mdk sorry xenogears and suicoden i've not played those games okay so if they're not on the list that's why and they may be on the list one day caveat number two there are several games i don't associate with the um PlayStation, I associate with Sega Saturn, as I've already explained. Um, but I have to put them on this list because otherwise I would be doing those games an injustice because technically they're on there, so therefore they have to be in the top 10. So that leaves off certain games such as Fear Effect, Hydro Thunder, Croc, yes, Croc, Destruction Derby, Pandemonium, Rayman, and uh, things like that. They, for me, feel more like PlayStation games in a lot of ways, but they're nowhere near as good as what some of the games that were on Sega Saturn and PlayStation. My final caveat is, um, because I've included what essentially are Sega Saturn games on my top 10 list, that has just nudged the following games out of the top 10. Because... There's a re if you if you are a fan of anything Bill and pop culture poor screen you'll know that I don't do top ten lists I do top twelve lists but Mike doesn't like top twelve um, he doesn't care about the branding or why we do this ten show. looks better in a video in a podcast title doesn't he's, it? he's after the algorithm uh, that's that's his truth that's 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 all what Mike wants to do he wants he wants clicks well, what, so therefore are there going to be any of any of your honourable mentions that are going to potentially prop up on my list because i'd rather wait till we actually talk about them proper okay can we start with the honorable mentions then uh i'd, I'd draw is, is there is there any that you pretty much convinced i wouldn't have on a list uh yes all right well, well you know like i guess so i'm pretty sure right i'm just gonna say them all right this we've got, we got too much to get through i'm all just right. gonna do them i don't care about your rules all right <laughs> i'm doing my rules um, so number 13 would be Ridge Racer 4. You don't have that on there, do you? No, no. No. Number 12 would be Time Crisis. No. And number 11 would be Tekken 3. No, <laughs> no. Right. So those three games would be in position of the games I've chosen that are on the Sega Saturn instead. But if I put those three games on there, I'd be doing the three games that are on the Sega Saturn and Injustice, even though I don't associate them with the PlayStation. So there we go. Okay. Now I feel a little bit better because I've I've justified my decisions. All right. That's that's fine. You um, may continue, Mike. So, I I am willing to start this this list off with number 10, which is a game that I've played very recently actually, and it was the remake that I played first 
and I thought the remake was amazing. I didn't even consider playing the original because I was like, well, it replaces it. Um, but I watched a, a very interesting video. I can't remember who the video was by that was actually talking very negatively of this remake and talking about how there were features from the original that weren't replicated in the remake, which got me intrigued enough to go and play the original. And that original was Resident Evil 2. Okay. Now, Resident Evil 2, um, I, I think, is is the best of the three PS1 Resident Evil games, at least on the PlayStation 1. Remakes make things a bit more, a bit more fuzzy. Um, but... As far as if you're looking at the PlayStation 1 originals, uh, I, st- I think that the play- Resident Evil 2 is the better one. Um, there's, a lot of feature- there's a lot of features that, were in the re- that weren't in the, um, the remake that were in the original. For example, there was a lot more of a dialogue between Clary and Leon. Um, mm-hmm. Very much, there were very much a lot of the time in the remake, the, both stories were very much carbon copies. Whereas in the original, there was a lot more differences. So you had you had the Claire A, Leon B pairing, and the Claire uh, Claire no Leon A, Claire B pairing, and there were so many like I found found so many cutscenes and so many little bits of story that just were flat out weren't in the remake, and that really surprised me because I just expected it to be like a very faithful recreation. I was shocked, for example. To not even come across like um, Mr. X until like the the B the B plot line, and I thought that what it did because replaying the original Resident Evil, it felt it felt just really clunky and the voice acting was absolutely a terrible. You know, it's it's sort of hit cult meme status. You know, you, terrible demons. You... Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> have you played the original Resident Evil one? Yes. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, because you, you say the voiceover was terrible. It's not nearly in the realms of Resident Evil 1 terrible. It's, it's no, leaps and bounds above the first one. Resident, Evil, Resident Evil 1 had absolutely dire um, voice acting, which I love, yeah. um, ironically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it, there's, there's, there was so much... The increase in presentation from the first game to the second was in, was incredible, and I actually played the when I played the remake. I actually paid for the DLC to have the original soundtrack, and God, right. that made such an incredible difference. Like the sound, the soundtrack. I, I I normally dismiss horror soundtracks because they're usually ambient noises and stuff. But when I put on, you know, but when I played Resident Evil Two and you go into that police, uh, as soon as you walk into the police station, the the like piano and 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 that had such a incredible atmosphere, and I was surprised. Just I didn't find it. I didn't find the game scary or anything because it's it's well, some games can be scary. We'll we'll get to that when we get to it. But for the most part, PlayStation One games, because of how they've aged, they're not particularly frightening. But I was I was really surprised with how good Resident Evil Two was, and in a way, even though I still think the remake is a great game, I I don't unlike the remake of One, I don't think it necessarily replaces it. I kind of just see it as like a companion piece. Whereas I'll never I'll never go back to the original Resident Evil. I'll definitely go back to the original Resident Evil 2. 
Yeah, and, and so what did this guy say that you you, you mentioned briefly? In, in in you know we ain't got time to go through everything he said, yeah. but what what because I've never heard anybody say that the re- remake was diabolical compared to the original. So just give me a flavour. We never said it. He didn't. He said he said that the remake was still a good game, but oh. it was mainly the fact that the B stories were were basically the same as the A stories. Yeah. With yeah, and and there was a lot of just a lot of stuff that was cut and he said he was talking about how the um like the death of the police chief irons was a lot slower and a lot more like body horror in the in the um original whereas it was very sort of quick and over in the sec in the remake it was like sort of blink and you miss it he just sort of come walks around the corner something bursts out of his chest and that's it whereas it was very much like he was, um, you know, hunched over and he was like, oh, I feel something, you know, and, and then everything explodes. It was a lot more, like, interesting. Yeah, I mean, there was a few things that the um, the remake did better than, well, there was a lot of things the remake did better than the original, but I, did, yeah. I do feel that there's a certain feel to the tank-based Resident Evils mm. that still sort of hold true. I can't stand the fact... Um, that Resident Evil 2 doesn't have a 180 turn. Yeah. Whereas every other Resident Evil, well, apart from the first one, but like you said, it's very rare yeah. to ever go back to that one now. Um, it, it's quite jarring to sort of play Resident Evil 2 without that ability. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's. I think that still stays true even, even now, unless you play it on the PC Master Race. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's loads of story beats that go into that game and puzzle elements like when you meet um, that Mrs. Birkin in the sewer um, and there's a little scene with them on there, like you've already mentioned with the, the scenario being, being so different. I was a bit disappointed when I played the remake and there was yeah. no, virtually no difference between the, the two where it was such a huge difference. I know yeah. people who played Resident Evil 2 thought it was amazing but always thought you had to play as Leon first yeah I never even realized that if they played Claire first it gave them a different well, story well, back that in was... the day well apparently I don't know if this has changed in regards to the remake but apparently the canon the canon version is um Claire A Leon B yes but then the stuff that's in the canon version a lot of those scenes aren't in the remake which is perplexing there's a lot of radio chat between the two of them in in the original that aren't in the remake. It's almost like you're supposed to get that Claire and Leon are become like really good friends, but they barely interact with each other in the remake. It's like they interact at the start as a little bit where they chat where they're at a fence and then they meet up at the end. Like that's it. Yeah, whereas in the original one there was a lot more kind of interaction between yeah. them and they they left a lot more items for one another if i remember correctly yeah there was also that kind of cool thing where uh, all these little bits that i can imagine why people would be frustrated when they actually sit down and think about it mm. like if you picked up everything in your scenario a you'd leave less ammo and weapons for scenario b so yeah. therefore you wouldn't have certain equipment parts and stuff for your partner so yeah along with that there was all this replayability like trying to get the tofu man and yeah. and Flanders Hunk and all of that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a truly tremendous game, um, but yeah, I mean, it's still it's still worthwhile playing today compared to just the remake. Yeah. Uh, it's and the not way a... I, I tend to think about it is it's a bit like um, it's a bit like the accounts that are being told about this horrible day are not told by the people who were there. 
It was yeah. almost retold re by somebody else mm -hmm. or lost to, to time on, on different files. So if you want to know everything that happened, you have to play two, you have to play three, you have to play the remake of two and three, yeah. and then piece it all together um, to make a full account of what happened. That's ten generally quite the, the fun way of doing it. And it gives you more Resident Evil, which is never a bad I mean, it's, thing. It's not, it's not on my list, but I also think that just worth saying that for those who are only... Um, have only played the remakes the third one also has a lot of things that weren't in the in the remake like the nemesis choices and there's like entire sections like the clock tower that just wasn't in the remake so yeah there's a, and, and playing as jill in resident evil 3's original one you feel a lot like a badass especially if you get used to the, the dodging mechanics and yeah and all of that kind of stuff so it's a, it is a very different game but only when you got used to all of the new mechanics and played yeah. it a few times but it, the replay value of that one is sometimes greatly under-exaggerated because of what choices you can make and what differences it makes by interacting with Nemesis and things like that. So, again, I, I love the series. They're one of those series uh, in gaming for me. Uh, but I don't think anything's been replaced except for the first Resident Evil. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. There's no, literally no reason to play the first Resident Evil with the GameCube remake. Except for the cheese. Except, Except for, the, for cheese, the cheese, yeah. That's it. Well, my number ten, um, and this is where this is where you're going to start getting a bit weird, Mike. You're going to think, where am I going with this? Okay. And you're probably, you're probably going to go, what? This hasn't been mentioned yet, and that hasn't been mentioned yet. But my number ten is Project Raiden. Right. Explain. Which is a <laughs> which is a bullet hell game. Okay. Where. It, couples in Raiden 1 and Raiden 2, uh, the Raiden project. Now, this was a super rare game on the PlayStation 1, mm -hmm. but it is a good entry point for anybody who wants to get into bullet hell games. Yeah. It's super stupidly hard, but you can tweak a lot of settings to actually get good at bullet hell games by playing okay. Project Raiden. Um, and because it's got 1 and 2, it's it's, you know got good value for money in, in the package now i think it was a release title um so very few people have got it and it's like stupidly expensive as i said but it's it's not too crazy you're not seeing thousands of bullets on screen but at the same time it keeps things simply keeps all the rules simple and what you learn in project riding you can take through to any kind of bullet hell that you play now the reason i have put it in for my number 10 slot above things like tekken and time crisis and ridge racer hang on, PlayStation fanboys, is because it hasn't been ported to anything else. Project Raiden is only on the PlayStation, and you'll hear a fair amount about that when it right. comes to me, um, because it still stays synonymous to, to what I consider the PlayStation to be. This yeah. all-around... There was always one good game in every genre, and this was probably... Even though there was a, a lot stronger, more prominent games in that genre on the Sega Saturn and the PlayStation, mm -hmm. Project Raiden was the one that sort of started me off because I played it in the arcade. Right. And then when I saw it on PlayStation, I was like, oh, I know what this is, where most people didn't. And when I picked it up and played it and, and pl played it on the PlayStation, it got more time from me on there than anything else. And if anyone says, how do you get good at these bullet hell games? I'll always go back to my time on the PlayStation and Project Raiden yeah. and what that game taught me. Um, and I think it's such an underrated gem. And in the same way that you can look at things like Doom and say, well, that's dated. You know, there's much better first person shooters nowadays. Yeah. 
still gives you the basis of a lot of things what a lot of first-person shooters and, and that kind of corridor-based first-person shooters give you, and that's how I feel about Raiden. I can't imagine you've played this one, Mike, have you? No, I, to be honest, the bullet hell genre is a genre that I've completely avoided. Um, I want to play Ikaruga at some point, um, just to sort of dip my toe in, in sort of get a feel for, for if, if it's worth something to invest my time into. But yeah, no, I uh, I didn't even know the game existed when you mentioned it. To be completely honest, it, this this one is such a meaty. You know, when you kill something in Doom with a shotgun, yeah, it's it's timeless. It still feels good like that. Yeah, when you shoot something down in Project Raiden, mm-hmm. the explosions and the details on the pixels are just as satisfying. Watching think bosses blow up in that game is incredibly satisfying, and it doesn't do anything flashy but it is still a great starting point for you to get into the genre. Um, Ikaruga, Radiant Silver Gun, the countless others are much better games, Right. but Project Raiden is still something that I can constantly go back, try try and beat my top scores, play with a friend, Mm. and see those graphics and think, yeah, this still feels good to play. Oh, interesting. maybe, Maybe one for us to try out one day in the future. So, moving on to my number nine. Um, I made a comment about Resident Evil 2 how I didn't find it particularly scary because I argue that um, PlayStation 1 games haven't really aged that well in in the horror department however I'm about to do a complete 180 on that statement of number (laughs) 9 I think I know what this is but Um, go on I I, I, like if there's one game that genuinely surprised me um, going over the PlayStation 1 library um it was Silent Hill. Now, I didn't... I can't... I'm not going to lie to you and say that I got really invested in the story or I thought the game, the gameplay was fantastic or anything like that. But um, Silent Hill is like... I, I never thought I'd play a game that came out on the PlayStation 1 that made me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, there, were no, there weren't really any jump scares in Silent Hill um, or anything like that. But it has such a way of just getting under your skin. Like you go through this um, school and there's just you just hear crying and you see all these like child sized like demon things. And that's that's really like off putting. But then you travel to like this nightmare version of the school and there are like these and everything's like rusted and everything just looks absolutely disgusting you know and you've like you've got the same thing of a hospital later where you just walk into a room and you see these nurses covered in blood like hunched over you know barely moving and you just see them slowly swinging their arms towards you and it's just absolutely like like you know teeth biting like i'm i didn't you know I, I've, I've played plenty of horror games and they don't really do much for me but i think what Silent Hill does is it doesn't jump out at you and go, ah, you know, scary, I'm a horror game, you know, make you crap your pants. It's more like subtle horror, like the kind of horror that's really slow and really takes its time to sort of get under your skin. And I was surprised when playing that game just how uncomfortable I felt, even if I thought that the first half of the game with the school and the hospital were a lot more interesting than some of the later areas. I was still taken aback. And even like 
the voice acting's a bit weird. The the graphics, um, you know, are dated. There's thick fog everywhere. Yet somehow that just sort of contributed to the uncomfortableness I felt playing it, which was weird. And and you know, plus there's, there's other things like secret endings and 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 other elements that sort of contribute to why I think it's a good game. But I, I never I never felt a PS One game would have such a, a strong atmosphere to it. Silent Hill, I respect. Yeah. Um, especially for what you've said there, like the fog was an accident. I'm mm. pretty sure it was. It was a necessity to make the game run, but it just added to it. And it it's a it's a blueprint for those game developers that had restraints where they had to use imagination to get around problems. Yeah. And they used it in such a way to build the project, not sort of cut back and say, oh, um, this is not the game I wanted to make. Like, yeah. that, we haven't got technology for that yet. They, they rolled with it. And I think a lot of games nowadays would be made better if there was those kind of restraints in place. Mm -hmm. The fact don't have a restraint now almost makes people go well you just do anything yeah. and i think the creativity is lost so i respect silent hill for what it achieved what it can do of course but i i freaking hate that game i i was i was so <clears throat> i was so bored with that game compared to resident evil 2 okay um now don't get me wrong the opening scenes when you're going down the alleyway and the alleyway slowly turns into this like fleshy blood covered thing and you yeah. find a guy hanging up and you're like what the hell is going on yeah and you like say the school very cool you know all of those aspects of it um seeing all the barbed wire and the rust everywhere is very cool but then it just sort of loses its pace by the later areas of what you visit yeah no i agree and the ending was so unsatisfying <clears throat> When you, when you, any of the endings that you put, you played, I just didn't think ended anything. It was such an yeah. interesting thing that your daughter's just gone missing from your car and you got to find her. And then he gets sidetracked with all these different side characters and the police officer and stuff like that. Yeah. And like I say, it, all, there was so much that was <laughs> taking me out of the experience. Yeah. As much as things that were putting me in. And I think it, a lot of people remind, remember those first few hours of the game yeah. and judge it solely on that. However, when you take it as an entirety, the whole game is a whole thing, I, I think it falls under its own ambition and it really had no direction towards the end. Almost like they wanted to just end it because they yeah. ran out of time or whatever. I mean, it is only like a, it's only like a six-hour game, but like I agree that yeah. it, it gets <clears throat> those, those first, that first, I'd say the first two, three hours of the game felt so unbelievably strong that it yes. did have this weird... Um, I, I guess when you, you think about the, the replay value of it, where mm. they got all these secret endings, and that was one of the big selling points of it. It's not going to, you know, your decisions decide, you know, the yeah. game sat and games forever. But the endings were so short and so, uh, and there's there's people that will put their own narrative in there, and they'll mm. say, oh, you just don't understand the nuance of what it's going to tell yeah. you. No, because I actually think Resident Evil, uh, sorry, Silent Hill Two is such yeah. a better game in every single way that I do appreciate it. I just don't think if that was what they were aiming for in Silent Hill 1, they hit the mark. Yeah, I think I, th I think um, the problem is... I think the, the true... En I got the true ending, but um, the, like, I guess the basic ending is, like, so unbelievably, like, abrupt. It's just like, oh, oh, I, I guess the game's ended now. 
It's 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 a weird one. I haven't played. No, I found that with the true ending as well. Yeah. Um. Just all of them. It just just didn't really sort of yeah. make any of it worth it or answer any questions. Or I anything. think I think it's like from a horror standpoint, where do you go from like a creepy school and then like a creepy hospital? You kind of like you've blown your load for lack of yeah. a better term. Yeah, I, I honestly think so. And with Resident Evil Two being so strong throughout. Mm where it has all these different locations and, and things like that. I, I was just such a Resident Evil weeb. I was so yeah. into Resident Evil that Silent Hill just didn't sort of scratch that itch for me. But when it came to the sequel, that all changed. Yeah, I do need... Uh, I still need to play the second Silent Hill because there's people that lord it as, like, you know, one of the best horror games ever, so... That game, just very quickly, because we, we need to get on with the, res- the, the PlayStation 1 list. Yeah. Uh, the Silent Hill 2 was the only game that I could only play for about an hour or two at a time because it was so frightening yeah. to play, uh, especially in the dark, because I do think everything it did attempt to do, it did really well. So I'll be okay. interested to see what you say about that one, Mike. But going on to my number nine, um, is the most recent game I've played. Oh, I know um, what this is. In, in the list. Uh, and that's Mega Man 8. Oh, that's not I've, the game I thought you were going to say, but, you know, all right then. Yeah, I've, I've only just played this as of about a week or two ago. Right. Um, now, I've played, I played it on the Sega Saturn. Okay. And I hated it. Okay. <laughs> I wish I kept it, because I did have it on the Sega Saturn, yeah. and now it's worth about £800. Oh, jeez. Um, so I wish I kept the game, but I didn't. Anyway, uh, I've recently had a lot, sort of Mega Man revival where I've literally gone Mega Man crazy. And I think it's down to Mike, actually, who sort of said, look, you need to play these Mega Man games a certain way, especially with the X series. By sort of getting... The more you put into it, the more you items you pick up, the better the game becomes. And I found that with, yeah. with a lot of them. So I revisited a lot of the Mega Man games... Um, and I've blasted through them quite quickly because I'm, you know, I played a fair amount of games. And Mega Man Eight, I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but my God, that game's beautiful. Yeah. The sprite work in that game is incredible, <clears throat> and the ideas uh, that are in Mega Man Eight, and I mean, the cutscenes are dreadful, and the voiceovers are some of the worst I've ever seen. It's like, it's like they they literally turned up to do the voiceovers and went. Uh, like that bit like Krusty the Crap Clown in Simpsons where he read three lines and then went home. <laughs> is that the one it is was... that the one where he goes uh he goes, You gotta defeat him, Mega Man, you gotta stop Dr. Wowie. Exactly. Dr. Light's voice man. I wanna meet him in real life because he has got the best lisp ever. Um and he just couldn't be bothered. Everything he said, he was just like, What have I done with my life? Why am I here? Um, but I mean, back then it was quite impressive to have anime cutscenes, especially that many in there. And the the whole uh, duo storyline is 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 rubbish. But if you just take it on a level by level basis, where you have the you know you're on the jet, the, the snowboard, the, the jet, the rocket board levels. Yeah. Uh, there's flying levels, a bit like a shoot 'em up or shmup, where you're on the the back of the dog. Yeah. Um, and and the friggin' football power-up that Mega Man gets is super fun, where you just kick footballs around and it bounces around. Right. And I didn't realise that, that was where they got it from uh, the fighting games I enjoy. Whenever you play as Mega Man, it's that Mega Man. The Mega Man that are in all the, oh, right. Capcom, the Marvel versus Capcom games is based on Mega Man 8. So it was very joyful to sort of see all those moves he uses in that game actually in, in a proper Mega Man game. 
Um, you know, it's it's such an underrated gem, and it looks so gorgeous. Uh, and the music's the music's a little bit of a miss compared to what Mega Man can do, yeah. but it's still bright and cheerful. And even even my wife, who she's seen me quickly play for all the Mega Man games, yeah. she just turned her head and went, "God, that's cute. That looks really good." And I was like, "Yeah, it's a PlayStation One game that no one talks about." Is there um, is there any anything about about Mega Man Eight that makes you think, "Yeah, that's why they went backwards"? Because Mega Man Nine, obviously, for those who don't know. Um, went back to like Mega Man 2 not just graphically but also like how you're limited to what sort of moves you've got and and, and that sort of thing is there anything that sort of you play Mega Man 8 and you think oh yeah and no, I can understand why they sort of took the back to basics sort of approach I, at the time I could understand why playing them back to back like I had it was really jarring to lose all of that movement that he had in Mega Man 8 and all of those extra additional moves and you know all the all the systems and the options that you had. Yeah. But there was so much introduced in Mega Man Eight, and all the best ideas from Mega Man Seven were brought over. Yeah. So really, I I, I think it was just kind of like people were so, um, what's the word? When you know when you've had too much of a good thing. Yeah, they were burnt out by Mega Man. Burnt out, yeah. yeah. And I think Mega Man X was so because Mega Man X always looks cooler. Yeah, in original Mega Man. That everyone was like, "This is not really what I want from a next generation console." It was all that kind they, of. Stuff. They looked at. They they basically made it look like um, Mega Man. At, Mega Man X was like, um, you know, this like really cool guy. Like, oh, look at him! And then they looked at classic Mega Man like it was like Kirby or something. Like it was just some sort of really cutesy, like lame, you know, less cool <laughs> version of it. And what, what I'm finding when I'm revisiting all these is that at first, well, I was the same. I was like, there is only one Mega Man. It's the one that was cool. It's the one with the teenage angst, and that's Mega Man X. But yeah. now I've gone back and played, you know, so much Mega Man the last few few weeks. Yeah. Um, the original Mega Man stands on its own. Mm-hmm. Very much like it's, it's more platforming than it is action-based. Yeah. And the look and feel of everything, even from the Robot Masters, is a lot more... Um, yes, it's a lot more kid kidfied and cartoony, but it also is a Mega Man in its purest. Yeah, and, and there really is a big difference between all of them, and I'm really enjoying it. But anyway, we maybe save that for another episode going into Mega Man. Um, yeah, no, but I... Mega Man Eight is is a gem that most people forget about. It looks gorgeous. It plays really well. It's got some really great ideas that I wish come back. Um, and I I I love it. I I that would be one of my ones I come back constantly to. Awesome. Now, going on to my number eight. Um, this one, I think some people, at least people who are well versed in the in in the PlayStation library, would probably question why this game isn't higher. Um, but I definitely have my reasoning for it, and okay. that game would be uh, Crash Bandicoot Warped. Now, um, Crash Warped is like probably the, the is definitely from what I've seen the fan favorite on on out of the PlayStation titles. Um, I'll dis- I disagree for what you'll see later on in the list. Um, but um, Crash Bandicoot Warped is a really fun game to blast through. It's got... The- I, th- I think the only thing that holds it back is the overabundance of vehicle segments and things like that. Um, I think I-, I worked it out it's something like a third of the levels are like vehicle levels. 
which means you've only got two thirds of the game that are actually platforming. And for a game that's as as short as as Crash Bandicoot, that's quite weird. But I still I still really like Crash Bandicoot Warped. Not only of the 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 going through different time periods interesting, uh, going to you know ancient Egypt or going to medieval times or being on a tiger on the Great Wall of China. I found that so so enjoyable from a visual standpoint. And you've also got characters that I feel like um, have kind of become iconic characters in the series, like Dingo Dial and Entropy. And not to mention, I think the probably has the best boss fights out of the um, original trilogy. And and the music, as always, is great. I think Crash Bandicoot Warped introduced some really cool ideas, um, like the time trials and such. I just think that it may be went for variety too much as opposed to sticking to the platforming that I, I still believe works really well. Don't you think that's like the natural progression of Crash Bandicoot though? The, remembering this is a time before we had things like auto runners, but because a lot of the 3D sections in Crash Bandicoot, you very rarely took your finger off the forward button or the back button anyway. Yeah. But that's more of a sort of like, maybe they should have always done that. Not so much with the bits where it goes in 2D, you know, it's 2D platforming, but just think about the bits where you're running away from the boulders or you're actually playing through the levels. Yeah. You tend, don't often let up on the up button or the down button, do you? Well, it's not, it's not, when I say like vehicle segments and stuff, it's not so much, like I really like the, the ti- tiger sections because they're just like the polar sections in the second game. It's more so stuff like when you're in a plane and you've got to shoot blimps down or oh, when you're on a jet ski, um, like that bonus level um, hot cocoa, which um, I will say, don't look up on Google Images because you will not see the level. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh dear! Oh no, internet! <laughs> oh so, no! Uh, but but that level is just like this massive, massive open area where you've got like something ridiculous like 70 boxes to hit and there's nitro crates everywhere and it's just a miserable experience so like i think crash crash warped is is only held back by those levels that i think a lot of games around that time when they hit their third entry i know spyro 3 is also guilty of this it just kind of threw variety out so then you've got this really refined um platforming that, that is then sort of watered down by these other sort of types of gameplay that they've sort of threw in there for variety's sake which is is the only thing that held it down but i still i still enjoy i played it probably about two weeks ago now and i still enjoy it especially the ps1 version i think there is a lot of people that need those distractions to get through a game like crash yeah um i tend to agree with you i would much rather have a tight gameplay experience Mm -hmm. um have all of my skills in that game tested yeah then I was all the, the distractions of sort of mini games that sort of go oh this is different because yeah. i think some people need that to break up the monotony for them well, it's like you talked about Mega Man. like how annoying would it be if you were playing Mega Man and then all of a sudden like how like you had a stage where you were just doing something completely different like imagine if you were playing Mega Man and then all of a sudden you jumped in a ship and you were playing like 
something that looked like it was pilot wings or something. You'd think but it happens in Mega Man. I, I think the only bits I got frustrated with is when they revisited those what I thought were one-off sections. Yeah. So like I mentioned the jets, the the the, the jet board that you're on. Very much mm-hmm. like the the polar bear bits in in Crash, yeah. where there's an auto runner and you it just says jump, jump, and you have to jump over it. Um, and if you miss, you you die. Now, yeah. the problem is is you anyone who knows that you play a Mega Man, you die in Mega Man, you're going to be punished heavily yeah. by having to start the level all over again eventually if you run out of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- those those sections that are originally cool overstay their welcome by the end of the stage and yeah. when you come back to them you're like oh god I, I this is destroying the experience for me if these were taken out i wouldn't have a problem with it yeah um but i totally get it but i'm very shocked that even because i thought you were when you said vehicle sections you were including things like the polar bear and stuff like that but it's still a third of the game even if you don't count those stuff all those vehicle games i didn't realize well yeah uh, if count counting like the underwater stuff counting the jet ski stuff the counting the airplane stuff you're literally talking like a third of the game uh being on the motorbike as well that says a lot there's a lot but like i said it's it's more more variety over over type platforming i think i think they kind of you know if it wasn't obvious spoilers for later on my list but i think um you kind of you kind of perfected um, the movement of Crash, and then the only way you could pump out a sequel, other than making cool visuals and adding cool boss fights, is just by adding more stuff. So uh, I think you're right. They yeah. did do a lot of that. Well, my number eight um, is another game I played recently that I was pleasantly surprised with, and I reckon I'd be blown away if I played it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Soul Reaver. Yeah. Um, I. I've always sort of looked at this game from afar and went, that looks cool, but never really knew what it was. Yeah. Um, it was a certain type of person at school who played it. Um, so I was always quite intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't expect it to be as good or the levels designed to be as well laid out as it is. I found a lot of PlayStation 1 games tend to be um, either really empty kind of interlocking levels just for the sake of it or very you know bite-sized chunks that are slammed together even they don't don't always like rhyme or reason yeah however soul reaver is this very nice kind of interlocking metroidvania kind of game where you you know you pick up stuff to be able to get new abilities to get other places now the game is terribly dated it it definitely needs a remake really badly. Yeah. Um, combat is very janky and repetitive. Mm-hmm. The hitboxes hit are a bit all over the place. Some of the platforming is a bit... Uh, and there's there's a few bits where the game... I thought the game was telling me one thing, and it wasn't. But it looked like you could do it. Like that kind of... You know when you play a platform and you've got invisible walls? And you're like, yeah. I'll definitely get up there. But you can't, But the yeah. game never intended you to. And if they just would have changed the graphical tell at some point, you probably wouldn't even thought about it. So no. there's a bit of that. But when the game works really well, when the game does what it's uh, telling to, like shooting out glass windows to kill the boss because it's a, it's uh, weak to sunlight and stuff like right. that, when you finally get the ability to swim um and it just feels so good and the 
the the the working out where you've got to go what you've got to do and what what lever activates what door and all that kind of stuff i dig that stuff in video games so well and, and soul reaver did it really well and it just like i said it felt like a metroidvania but with that a lot more of a darker gritty sort of feel of it if it wasn't for the ending mm -hmm. I, mean, I was addicted to this game it was hard <clears> yeah blank, but i was I, I saw it through right to the end and i really enjoyed it yeah but um if it wasn't for the ending which was just so cliffhanger bait it's okay. like you work through, through this game only for them to say join us in the sequel i can imagine how people would be so peed off because the sequel didn't come until playstation 2 right. um and it, it it didn't answer anything you know after such an awesome beginning of you know soul reaver avenue's wings ripped off and cast yeah. into the void and all that kind of stuff you think yeah i'm gonna get my revenge mother bitch um and then nothing ever happens you know and he just jumps through a portal at the end but the finishing moves and stuff like that you'd think they'd become really annoying but when you beat up an enemy because you have to finish them by throwing them in fire or on a stake or stuff it just made the fighting more interesting right you couldn't just beat an enemy have you played it mike have you played Soul Reaver? i haven't no I, I know it's been it was actually written by the um, a Amy Henning, who did, who later on did the first three Uncharted games, so I know it's okay. sort of in good hands in terms of sort of the people behind it. But it's just you kind can, of you can tell that there was a lot of thought in each of the characters, yeah, um, and and the bosses as well, and how morphed and warped they all become. Because um, essentially, just to set the scene for you, so I thought you'd played it. Sorry, no. Um, the Soul Reaver, Raziel, gets chucked into the void and he comes back like, I don't know, how many years later? Thousands, millions of years later. Right. And all of his brothers have walked into these horrific monsters and their legacy has all been destroyed and mm -hmm. he has to go around and sort of knock them all out, you know, kill them all and, and take their powers. And that's how he gets more abilities to go to different locations. Yeah. But what's really cool about the battle system is because everybody's immortal, and they only have clear weaknesses like fire and stab stakes through the heart. They're all like vampires. Okay. So you can't just go up against an enemy and hack them and they just die and fall over. Okay. You have to pick them up and throw them at spikes or kick them into fire to finish off the enemies. That's cool. Um, and it, yeah, it just makes it really interesting. Um, and you can't die either. You, oh. when, when they actually whittle your life down, you just go to the underworld you kill a few ghouls and suck up their souls and then you come back okay so there is no game over either but which works so well it gets a it gets a bit frustrating when you're trying to work out where to go and jump across you know chasms and then you keep getting stunned by some guy sniping you yeah but never enough for you to switch off the game and go this is too old game jank you know mm. but definitely needs a re remake and it's such a good game and such a must have, uh, it must have really fallen off because it's the only one in the series I ever hear people talk about. Must have really sort of fought. Yeah, I'm not, I never really hear anyone else talk about Legacy of Cain, so I'll be interested. I assume that after that, the series kind of just fell off and died. I know the second... I think it's the second one that got a Dreamcast port. Okay. Um, it might be the first one. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Yeah. But uh, I know. I know uh, <clears throat> there was a lot of praise over the second one when it first came out. But I don't think it sold very well at all. No. I haven't played it yet, so I'm looking forward to trying it out. But if it's anything like the first one, wow! I was blown away. I was really surprised. Now moving on to my next one is number seven. We're on seven. Seven. Yep. Seven. S ironically, 
Number seven is the perfect spot for this game. Because oh, it is oh, indeed is indeed the game that nobody shuts up about. And that is Final Fantasy VII. Now, people might be wondering, why have you put Final Fantasy VII on your list? And why have you put it at number seven? And um, He's being ironic, people. Get over it. Being ironic. No, I... I I appreciate Final Fantasy VII, and I think I've got more respect for it upon playing the remake because I think the remake um, had a lot of themes that it kind of butchered that the original sort of did. It's kind of a weird. It's kind of like with Resident Evil Two, where I kind of because the remake faltered, it kind of made me appreciate the original more, um, which will, as as a few other remakes, which which sort of gave me similar sentiments I, I definitely agree with that i i'm with you on that one yeah but um but like thing things like um retconning the the death of of zach and and things like that i think really brought the remake down but in in terms of the original um i think see this is this is with some caveats because i played it <laughs> i didn't Play the original PlayStation One version. I played the the late the ported version of it, um, so I enjoyed it with the caveat that I could speed up gameplay and 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 things like that. Yeah, uh, it's 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 got a really it's got a really strong opening. Some people say that the game doesn't get good until you leave Midgar, but I completely disagree with that sentiment. I think that the Midgar portion is quite strong, and I think it kind of loses itself a little bit in the middle. Um, probably kind of when you get to like the golden saucer is probably yeah. where it starts to wane a little bit but i think the i mean coming probably the best soundtrack on the playstation um i don't think there'd be much contest to to that sort of statement um i think when it comes to i i think the fmvs obviously were were impressive at the time I only think the problem, the only problems with Final Fantasy VII for me is, like I said, it has a little bit of a little bit of slowness in the middle. Um, I think the materia system is a little bit. Um, the materia system is a little bit pointless because it's kind of like one size fits all sort of thing, and not every character feels as unique as they probably could. But I I do appreciate Final Fantasy VII and its story, and I think it had a lot of hooks that sort of kept me going as much as I have this weird push and pull with Final Fantasy 7 because as much as I want to enjoy it um, it's put on such a pedestal that you kind of like you kind of struggle to get to that point people talk about how it's like one of the best games of all time and you and even though I appreciate it I'm like mm, not really though is it so it's it's one of those yeah. weird conflicting it's one of those games that sort of the the fan base and and it's like how how well it's received kind of pushes you away from it because you can't people are willing to ignore gaping holes in the story and the gameplay and its flow just because they had good nostalgic feelings of it yeah um that you you almost get shunned by it going well if you're going to be like that i'm just going to say it's not as good as you think it is because clearly it isn't and it almost yeah. sullies the experience but 
Final Fantasy VII, I, I'm very much like you. Since I played the remake, I love the remake up until the part where you go to um, Shinra building. Yeah. And then the whole game just changes. And it just turns into this whole... It's like, I, I just wanted you to make the the original one better. <laughs> yeah. Don't change and mix everything up. And then it turns into Kingdom Hearts and it completely goes off a ledge. Yeah. Um, but it made me appreciate, which is I reckon was the goal more of what final fantasy 7 originally was yeah now i actually think the first part the midgard parts is actually the best part of the game okay that was the most interesting as soon as you go into that open world bit where everyone's like oh my god the world's so big and it's got so much stuff i immediately just went this is so empty it's yeah. so dull i think we and both I... we both have a f we i think we've both just realized over the, ca the course of the podcast um all the ones we've done that we both seem to favor a more tighter linear experience so when yes. final fantasy 7 moves away from that it becomes a little bit more aimless i always feel like whenever you play a final fantasy game and it gives you the airship or or that equivalent it kind of loses me a little bit yeah and it feels it's so filled with mini games and then none of them are good none no. of them are, 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 are fun i mean back then again it was it was a novelty to have so many varieties of games genres in one game it was unheard of yeah so a lot of people go, oh, you, the, you know, you've got the uh, you've got this, the bike sections, and there's a there's an RTS section, and then people forget about the slap mini game and the dolphin mini game and the breathing and the squats and all all of it is just yeah. such a a, a a childish mess that just destroys the pace of the game, and you just can't take it seriously. Um, I was blown away by what they did with the remake to make some of that canon and actually make sense. And I think they did a tremendous job to get this kind of weird mishmash of ideas actually in a, mm. in a serious environment. However, um, I think Final Fantasy VII ends so strongly that a lot of people yeah. forget about what happened in that second disc. Because my biggest problem is the second disc. I just think that it's a, it's a slog. Also, also, like, who cares about... Kate Sif and like he could be taken out of the game. I don't really care about Aerith's death. People cried. I didn't. Um Yeah, I I, I played some other games where characters died before I played Final Fantasy Seven. And it also just to give it the complete context, because I have to say this every time I play it, because it's yeah. like you know, first of all, I was an N64 guy, so I was playing Ocarina of Time, and I was saying, why Why would I sit there for 12 minutes and watch Knights of the Round when I can actually do the fight myself yeah. like in Zelda? Um, plus, then there was Shenmue, and I was playing that, and people were still banging on about Final Fantasy. Um, but when I did play Final Fantasy, I did have an issue with it loading because I had a gammy second disc, so yeah, I, I say that anyway. But I do find it a lot more appealing these days than i had yeah. for the last 10 15 years yeah i mean I, I recently played it with um with a, a pc port that had completely um re restored like the pre-rendered backgrounds to make them look like they came out today and they've replaced the roblox bloody playmobile character yeah. models with the ones that are actually in the battles yes and that did that that's it was such a small visual change but it did so much to the experience there's whole there's a whole like mod loader for it and a whole modding community and that's definitely made the game more enjoyable but uh, judging on the base game it's a game that i in, i i respect and i i kind of it, i feel like it was hard not to sort of bring up um 
but I've got I've got obviously got PlayStation titles on this list that I enjoy more from either a story perspective or from a gameplay perspective. So yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think you you can you've explained why um, why you know you you maybe put it higher if it didn't have so many flaws. Yeah. Um, not looking through it from a nostalgic. Lens yeah, because or... just to be clear for viewers who I've I've said it before, but for people who are listening to this podcast for the first time, um, I have no nostalgic attachment to the PlayStation at all. So it's everything's been very retrospective. Final Fantasy VII was actually the first Final Fantasy that I'd played, um, and I think it's one of those. I've got certain games I've replayed, I've played for the first time, like Final Fantasy VII, um, Half Life. Um, there are other exceptions of sort of. Uh, not going into my brain right now, but games that have been put on such a high pedestal that it's literally impossible to live up to that. So it's kind of like, you know, you, you, it, and I think, I think one, one thing I, it sounds weird because I've been talking out, but so many flaws, these people, I've, these games I've put on my top 10 PlayStation 1 games, but that's only because I think for any game, I'm quite happy to openly talk about the flaws of the game. I think they stand out more than the the bright points, even if the bright points I think overshadow the uh, the the more negative aspects of it. Whereas I'll just say the Final Fantasy VII is not as good as you think, so get over it. Um, yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do what I did on our SNES top ten, Mike. And I know you weren't very happy about it back then. Are you going to put in a bloody compilation? Are you going to go all oh, all the all the the PlayStation? Uh, Demo discs one to eight, all of them. Putting no, them I'm, in just one gonna, I'm just going to say this, okay? Uh, number seven is Tomb Raider. Okay, all right then. Okay, but but Tomb Raider one was a Sega Saturn game and was released on the Sega Saturn first, so I played it on there. Right. I think the Tomb Raider series as a whole gradually got worse as they went on because it became less about actually raiding tombs and more about holding the shoot button down and just shooting things constantly. However, I, I don't associate Tomb Raider 1 with the PlayStation, even though it, it's one of the company mascots at that point. I, I think more Tomb Raider 2, 3, 4 as I go on. But Tomb Raider 1 does exist on the PlayStation, so I have to put it on there somewhere. And it probably would be higher if it wasn't for the rest of the Tomb Raider franchise. So I'm in this kind of mix match where I say Tomb Raider, but what I'm actually talking about is probably the Tomb Raider franchise. You put your game that you think is the best in here. I think the first one is the best because it was more about platforming and moving around. I thought it was the one game where it was me versus the level, and more often than not, the level one uh, until I... I finally cracked the mystery of what was, you know, the tomb or the Indiana Jones type feel. And it was just so, it was so fun to find the exit to these levels. And I never get enough of it that I constantly go back to playing Tomb Raider 1. Um, Tomb Raider 2 onwards had a lot more cinematics uh, and a lot more emphasis on the battles, which is a problem because it's a PlayStation 1 game to where cinematics don't really sort of work very well. And, uh, you know, there's loads of blocky hands and, and no moving mouths and sort of moving heads as they try to speak. Yeah. But, but the battle system was a lot of Lara locks on 
and you hold a button and you just have to jump back dash and all that kind of stuff to shoot enemies which doesn't work so a lot of people consider tomb raider 2 to be the best in the series from what i understand from my time with gaming and i completely disagree because there's so much fighting in that game that you find it yourself more often not standing still and shooting than you do actually tomb raiding Mm. but i can't deny the amount of fun and enjoyment I've had from the series as a whole that I had to put it somewhere yeah. and I don't want to put it in that slot because as I said I'm completely torn on which one I should put in that slot so I'm not going to I'm not even going to put myself through that and I don't care about Mike's rules so um, Tomb Raider as a whole is in there you choose which one you think is good I think as a series it's um, a lot of people frown and say it's, it's aged like old milk but I think Lara Croft is so good as a character and there's so much more you can do if they just revisited and got back to what made Tomb Raider Tomb Raider. Um, I like the new ones, don't get me wrong. Well, I say that. I like the first reboot. I didn't like the rise of the Tomb Raider and all that kind of stuff. I think it got too much like Uncharted. Mm. But that, that those those original Tomb Raiders blew me away and they gave me a lot of fun even though I think the formula was more and more stretched as it went on yeah i think tomb raider is one of those series where i look at and then i just think nah i I got no interest and then you got the reboot that are just like discount edgy uncharted (laughs) i've played i played the first two in the reboot and i didn't even finish the second one because i just just didn't grab me at all and i hear the third one's even worse so it's kind of like tomb raider's in a weird position where it's like like it's almost like nobody cares anymore it's it's i don't think it's heartbreaking because lara croft is such a great character and Mm. you feel so empowered playing as that character and just when they get like i thought the first one nailed it perfectly and i couldn't wait for the others then when i played two and three two was more battle orientated three i think is when they started bringing in vehicles and vehicle jump sections which is a terrible idea but when it when you got to those points in those games where you literally like Lara trying to out, out you know get out of a, t- a tomb or find the hidden treasure, yeah, it it feels so good and it was really mm. tight because you those legacy controls stayed with you. Then when yeah. they rebuild it for the Legend series, I actually think those games are when they nailed it more than anything else. Okay, um, back to that original kind of a Tomb Raider experience, but they were trying to tell this epic story across three games, and it it wasn't epic enough and it just no. sort of fell on its ass because that got in the way of the gameplay and the level design okay um and i really liked tomb raider the reboot but i hated the others because i again i wanted them to go in this direction much like i did the original tomb raider series they went off you know, to the left and i wanted them to go to the right i wanted them to focus more on how she became the tomb raider um how she became such a badass with her twin pistols and that kind of stuff instead they decided to stick she didn't really change much. She didn't become the Tomb Raider. Right. She just sort of stayed as weak Lara who, you know, stabs a lot of people with a bow and arrow. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of torn when it comes to Tomb Raider. But when they're good, they're very, very good. Just when they're bad, they I just wish they were made by somebody else. Yeah, so. that's understandable. Now, 
Moving on to six. my number six. Now, as as all of you know, if you if you are familiar with how numbers work, um, if you take the number six and flip it upside down, it does in fact look like a nine. And the game I am talking about is from the same series I talked about my number seven, and that is Final Fantasy Nine. Now, okay. people talk about how great Final Fantasy Seven is. But I think as the years have gone on, there's been more people, especially Final Fantasy fans, that are coming out of the woodworks and saying, you know what, when it's all said and done, Final Fantasy IX is better than Final Fantasy VII. And it's true. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. the only... The game the gameplay is a little bit slower, which um, is unfortunate, but that's more of a... If you're playing on original hardware, I definitely recommend for anyone who wants to play these games to play the modern ports because they do add a lot of quality of life changes. But um, Final Fantasy IX is not only is it one of the best looking games on the PlayStation um, because it came, you know, mainly because it came out in like year 2000, sort of the tail end of, of the generation. Um, but it's got a, a fantastic soundtrack, albeit not as uh, iconic or as good as Final Fantasy VII. I think. The fantasy setting is was definitely really appealing to me. I think Final Fantasy after seven and eight needed a bit of a refresh in the art department because it went, it kind of was going down this sort of steampunk, um, weird sort of mod, you know, like there's like a lot of industrial um, stuff, and just going back to sort of its fantasy roots was a really good way of doing it and i think it's almost with being the last um final fantasy directed by the creator of final fantasy it felt like this amalgamation of every single game that came before it it almost felt like the end of a chapter for the series like it was kind of like a bookend to that classic um final fantasy era and there were just the you know, the story I thought was a bit... It was okay, but I feel like the thing that really sort of gripped me were the characters. Um, especially the four that you start with being uh, Zidane, Dagger, Steiner and Vivi. I thought they were so interesting. And, like, I know Steiner specifically. He was he was such a character that I, I hated him. But at the same time, I, I found him really funny and really, like, lovable. Because like you 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 know he's in the wrong, but he's he's such a goofball. You kind of want to see what he's doing, and that makes his like redemption just so much sweeter. And and Vivi's like a, a lost puppy. You know you can't you can't be angry at Vivi. It's a, you know such a, a wholesome character. And I think with some exceptions, like I think Krina, um, you could just take out the game. And it wouldn't make a difference. Amaranth, same same thing. Um, but for the most part, like out of all the games on this list, um, I've talked about it in a different podcast episode, but Final Fantasy IX did actually make me emotional by the ending of it. And I think any game, especially a game that came out that long ago, that can elicit a emotional response out of me is is definitely worth talking about. Final Fantasy IX is a, is a is an interesting one for me because my friend Granville was constantly telling everybody Final Fantasy IX was better than seven, and everybody yeah. just disregarded him because it looked like a it was basically the Disney movie of the Final Fantasy games. Yeah, 
And back then, we were like, wait, what? We want big anime swords and it's loads of... It's not dark enough. Green, it's not edgy you know? enough. It's too bright and, and colourful. That's it. We wanted all that. But now yeah. looking back with with an adult mind, absolutely, it's a much better game. Um, it's it's still got its flaws. It, for every yeah. step it takes forward, there are two steps back, yeah. uh, which I find with a lot of Final Fantasy games. Yeah, no. And what people... What I did is I played through Final Fantasy 1, 2, 10 back to back. Mm-hmm. So it had that added knock-on effect that the job system kind of went away around about Final Fantasy 6, maybe more likely 7. Yeah. And then came back at 9 and it felt like an old friend coming back. Yeah. But which was which was cool. But the main thing about it is that everything that Final Fantasy seven does nine does better there are still mini games in nine but it doesn't swallow entire sections and, and overstays its welcome those bits where you're you know you're doing the sword fencing and play, play acting and all that kind of stuff yeah. that's that's all quick time events i can't criticize seven and not criticize nine for having the same kind of disjointed mini game kind of nature to it yeah but it doesn't really do it enough um and also seven i think has locations where they are more memorable because for every big location like the, the the plates and the golden saucer and stuff like that yeah there's so many insignificant boring locations but every place in final fantasy 9 is like a postcard it yeah. looks gorgeous every every i there are only a few set places i can pick out but there's not a single bad location from the castle from um, the pit where the, the woods, the massive tree sort of swallows the land yeah. from the part where you go to the last area and all that magic. So, and the FMV just brings it all together. Yeah. And I think you might be listening to this and go, well, what's the difference then? Why, why are you saying nine's better than seven? Nine's better than seven because its pace is better. Its characters are three-dimensional. Mike's just said Steiner goes from a character you like, you look goofy and you look stupid, by the end of it, he becomes a friend because yeah. he goes on this massive journey and he has a, a character arc. Whereas in Seven, when you meet them, they stay the same throughout. Yeah. You know, it's more world-driven in Seven, whereas Nine is more character-driven. Um, and yeah, there's some misses. You've mentioned them, like Quincy and, and uh, Emil, is it? Emil? Emil? Uh, Queena and Amarant, yeah. Amarant's yeah. kind of like the hard edgy character that literally contributes nothing and then queen is just kind of like your big the cat of the group <laughs> what's that other one with what's what's the summoner with the with the point on her head what's she called summoner yeah the little the little girl character oh, I, Ico. yeah yeah again she's another one i i think they were there to fill out the roster of movesets yeah. more than anything i think else, yeah i think they? the main the main four always were always my party whenever i could it was the first. It was always them four. So yeah, and 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 that's where all the the attention went into. But yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a really good thing because it makes the story more precise, uh, and and you you live through with these characters as you're going through. Uh, you're more attached to what's happening moment to moment rather than you know those big grind fest fests on on the open world map. Well, can we just get to the story now, please? Because I'm fed up with playing with dolphins. Um, but the the biggest thing for me that knocks nine down a few pegs, okay, is is the friggin' um, is it the card game that's not optional? 
No, no, not so much that. I didn't mind that because it, it wasn't optional, but it, it, I didn't have to play it too much. Again, okay. nothing ever stood as welcome like I did find with, with Seven. No. It's the it's the trance system. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree. It's where, a bit random, where, isn't it? Yeah, where in Final Fantasy Seven you've got these big anime animated moves where you know you build up a bar and you can spend it when you want and you can save it to the next battle or you, and you do these big animated over-the-top moves. Yeah. Um, in nine, the trance system is so lame. It looks cool when you change into these kind of, you know, monkey type, and you, you're flat, flashing and stuff. But it could be triggered at the, right at the end of a battle when you're about to win, and then you lose it. Um, and it might be, you might, you know, I never used it in a good place because I never had the option to. No. There was apart from a speed boost and a power boost, it didn't really do anything. Um, and it, it was just such a shame if they literally would have given them more individual moves rather than relying so heavily on summons, yeah. I think there would have been a lot more to the battle system as a result. Even if you could just choose when and when you couldn't implement it, even if like you filled a bar and then you could choose when you wanted to use it. Would have made uh, such a difference. Yeah, would have made yeah. such a difference. Yeah, but I, I think the, the stakes may not be as high as what they feel in Final Fantasy VII, but there's definitely more moments to moments. So I think Final Fantasy IX is a great game. Really yeah. good. Uh, my number six, and I'm doing it again, Mike, um, is insert Crash Bandicoot here. Uh, I oh, I didn't grow up with Crash Bandicoot. Bash, Crash Bandicoot was the enemy. I was a Mario guy, so when Crash came along, I was like, "Whoa, it's nothing compared to Mario 64." Ugh. Um, however, I've recently gone back and played all the Crash Bandicoot games, both the remakes and uh, the originals, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they're actually really fun. And <laughs> Every single one has their own problems. Yeah. Um, number one is High Ropes or High Road. Yeah. I friggin', I, I almost swore there, Mike. I hate that level and those rope bridge levels so much. Even yeah. in the original, I just think they're cheap and a, a waste of space. And every time I go back wanting to play Crash Bandicoot 1 uh, for its music and atmosphere and all of that nostalgia I get, I always get put off by that level because I think it's, a tr- it's, it's just so trash. Yeah, Crash 1 um, feels really like limiting. Like having, like you get new abilities in the later games, like you get the ability to slide, which you can follow up with a higher jump, or you've got like things like um, in the third game, you get like a double jump and like a tornado spin and things like that. And going back to Crash 1, where you can literally jump, spin, and that is it. It makes those those platforming sections even more annoying because I know in Crash Two you can just slide and follow up with a jump, which kind of gives you the extra distance and height to make sure you definitely like land where you're gonna land. And I um I I I could have got past a lot of the lack of moves because some of the games I go back to I'm used to that. Um, but it's the bouncing off enemies it just seems like such a awful kind of mechanic that doesn't that just can't be trusted yeah but what i love about crash one is the theme i always whenever i think crash whenever i put my mind into any promotional pictures or anything i always see him in the forest with those tiki masks yeah um that kind of aesthetic crash one has more of that than anything mm-hmm. um and, and where where a lot of people go well there's not a lot of variety there i want to play as crash in a jungle with the tiki masks well, and everything it was else. a journey it was kind of I always say that Crash is like Sonic. There's a lot more, f- in a lot more familiarities than people would give it credit for, but um, it's like that in this in in regards to the fact that you start off in like 
uh, very nature orientated place and then you slowly transition into a, a lot more like mechanical um, sort of taken over area and you know you, you both up against scientists evil scientists and and also the fact that both Sonic and Crash go have their 2D and their 3D sort of sections because if you think about it half the half of like Crash 1 is like a 2D platformer it just yeah, it is. is and there's something there's something really fun about that so I enjoy that as for Crash 2 I think um that's probably the best of the trilogy I agree with yourself there okay um but there's nothing in Crash 2 that makes me sort of remember it. That's, it's such a you solid think, game. I think Ice, when I think Crash, like it was yeah, like Ice I do levels too. and stuff. And I don't know why, because I don't think there's that many Ice levels, but I think it's one of the first things you see, or maybe you see it more well, often, but, but I don't like know. The first level is Turtle Woods, which is very much similar to the aesthetic of the first game. And it's so short, you've got it? like, like an intro yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the different themes. You've got them, you've got the like sewer levels... Uh, which had like the electric eels and stuff. Um, there was those levels with like the bees and and things where you had to like tunnel underground. So there was interesting themes, but I do agree when you say that out of the three, the third one has kind of like the weakest theming in terms of like. Visuals. Well, I think the second one does. Sorry. The yeah, that's what I meant. The second one yeah, has yeah. the weakest sort of theming out of the out of the three. Yeah, I think it moves so quickly and there's so much variety to it that I can't put my finger on what my favourite level is or what yeah. part I remember the most or a particular boss or any of that kind of stuff. But I can with one and three. Yeah. All I remember mostly with Crash Bandicoot is snow. Number two is snow and how much Cortex talks to you. Yeah. Um, probably because I remember seeing that in Toys R Us quite a lot. Cortex constantly talking to the people playing the demo. And as for free, I agree with you. I think free is a great game. But there is a lot of gimmicks in the game that kind of hold it back when revisiting it, where you yeah. kind of like you you want it to be the Mario Brothers three of the Crash series, but there's there's too many set pieces that sort of get in its way. Yeah. Um, even though that probably is the the most fun or how I got used to it. So yeah, I I struggle. I think they're all really good, but. Again, like I'm, like you may have found with a lot of these games, I don't necessarily rate one higher than the other because they all have their strengths and weaknesses that kind of keep them quite consistent. Yeah. And again, that's not a bad thing. I'm not having a go at Crash. I think Crash is brilliant, and I should have played it a lot earlier. Um, but yeah, Crash as a series, I think, is fantastic, and um, that's why it's at my number six. We're not going to bring up Crash Bash, though, because that is dreadful. It's uh... Not played it. Um, people say it's have. people say it's um people who grew up with it say it's as good as Mario Party and they really want to remake. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not played it. So. It wasn't made by Naughty Dog, so that's that's a hint towards the the quality of of that game. Right. But um anyway, um as we all know, uh, as as the as the memes have have spoken, um roses are red. Violets are blue. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. That's the one I'm talking about. That was the weakest transition I've ever heard. But you got it in there, Mike. Well done to you, sir. Well done so, um, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 is... it. I, I've, I, I recently did a video where I covered the first three Tony Hawk games and I made it. I went out of my way to play the originals um, before I played the remake to sort of have a fresh perspective. And... The first one is, it feels wrong. Like the there's something about the controls, 
it just doesn't feel right to play and you're right. also limited by you can't um there's certain abilities uh tricks that were introduced later that aren't in the first game and in that way kind of make it feel worse but tony Hawk pro skater 2 um literally took everything that was uh, good about the original and made it better um it's such a fun game to replay. I played through the game for the sake of vid- for sake of the video I did thirteen times, uh, <laughs> which is is ridiculous. Redunc- There's like so many different characters uh, just to get like some scantily clad uh, woman woman out of it that I could play as, and um, but it was just such a fun game to play through. Um, uh, it it's. It's such a like arcadey game, and there's such a I as much as I talk about how like Bill, you have like more interest in sort of the gameplay aspects of things than as opposed to like story and 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 music and all that other stuff. You always put gameplay first, and like I've I don't always put as much stock in gameplay as maybe you do. However, there's there's certain like this certain type of game that really clicks with me and it's this like complicated but like fluid to control kind of skill mastery that i find playing you know games like uh, doom eternal and and like you know like tony hawk where it really pushes me to sort of master the abilities and i think one thing that makes tony hawk better than any other extreme sports game or any sports game in general is the kind of improvisational quality to it you know you have to hit a certain amount of points but how you go about like what's what um tricks you decide to use that sort of thing was just so awesome to play and and obviously you had the phenomenal tony hawk soundtrack and on top of that you got to play as spider-man you got to like use your webs to like get your skateboard you had all these spider-man specific tricks that was that was such a fun thing that um didn't didn't come into the remake i think unfortunately should you play tony hawk pro skater 2 today i still enjoy it i don't think it it doesn't feel dated but at the same time with the remake there's like no reason to play it other than you know a curiosity thing but i think i think the second game definitely is the first good tony hawk pro skater game i think the first one is is jank and is just not fun to play nowadays. A lot of lot of games went down that road. Um, Tony Hawk's was this massive boom period when I was a kid growing up, where yeah. skating was cool and everyone was trying to learn how to skate like Tony Hawk's. And those games, very much like the wrestling games, mm-hmm. where I was more on the wrestling game side of things in that era, yeah, uh, it was almost like a, a badge of honor or a kind of like like, like people wear a Marvel t shirt now and they judge you by which Marvel character you've got in t shirt. Yeah, having a having a, 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 a rock band uh, meant you were into your Tony Hawk's, whereas you had a wrestling t shirt, you were into your wrestling. You know, it, it was very much a statement. But you you're right when it comes to um, the gameplay tony hawks does something very simple which is why i love a lot of the sega saturn games for the same reason yeah it arcade basis is here's the rules this is what you do when you're on a flat surface this is what you do when you're on a turnpike this is what you do when you're on a rail mm-hmm. and you can link it all together with these rules and yeah. the game and the level design teaches you those fundamentals bit by bit until you suddenly go 
click. Oh, now I know what I can do and how I can link them all together and what, you know, and, and when you look up and you see how the hell am I going to get that recorder or that letter or whatever it is, you know, how am I going to pick that up? The game and the level design funnels you down this learning path and, to, and, and keeps hitting home how to play the game until you, you get it. And then all the game does throughout the whole of it is say, okay, now you've done that in this scenario, do it again, mm. but you have to be tighter and you have to be better and you have to be quicker. It's and that, be it's that feeling of you look, at a, you look at the score in the level and you go, nah, not going to happen. There is no way I am ever going to get to that level of proficiency. And then when you like, because you have to, I had to replay Tony Hawk so many times to sort of uh, get all the unlockables. Like by the end of it, I was just breezing through. I got through. I'd get through the camp, the whole campaign in like two hours because you became. It's almost like it's like that Neo in the Matrix thing where he's like, "I know kung yeah. fu," you know. You're like, it's it's. I know Tony Hawk's. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, there's that thing because like Tony Hawk, the pro skater games have become like like um, Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two has become like one of my favorite games to sort of replay because of that um, that kind of skill mastery and it's it and like i said it's the improvisational aspect of it it's like yeah you you don't it's it's not when you've got your challenges it's you do have ones like oh we'll ride five bells or something but it's not like oh you have to do these specific tricks in this specific order in order to get to the next level it's just like get this many points and usually that stuff doesn't um doesn't really interest me i'm not really a, a score guy but there's something about Tony, uh, how Tony Hawk does it, where it is that sort of do what you want. This is your playground, um, you know. And, and the more the thing is, the the addictive nature of Tony Hawk is the fact that it's the same reason I like um, like the Arkham games when I like when I played the um, Batman Arkham games. I'd always try and keep as long a combo as I could, just yeah. seeing that that times fifty or whatever go up. I was just going to see how far I could push it. And that's that's why, why I love Tony Hawk, because you've got this absolutely monstrous like score going. And you know, if you fall, all that score is wasted. You've wasted your time. So it's just that, that level of intensity where you're like, just one more trick, one more trick. And then when you... And then you sort of see the score at the end of it and you feel really good about yourself. I think that's part of the appeal of, of Tony Hawk that sort of I find endlessly addictive. Yeah, and, and I think Tony Hawk does, like I said, this great idea of teaching you how to get to that point. There are so many games that you score as the the linchpin, you know, which this is this is the, the bit we entice you in. You can get high scores. Yeah. But they lose that meaning because so many games try to do that, or yeah. that's what it's old like. Games it's like do. who plays Castlevania and tries to get a high score. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. It's like... And th th there's some games that don't need a high score. Yeah. But when you've got as tight an idea and as simple idea as Tony Hawk's, and then you apply a score to it, that's when it becomes addictive. That's when you yeah. try and beat your own high scores. That's when you go for missions. That's when your mate comes around and says, oh, I'll just beat your high score. And you went, really? Okay, let's go again. I've got an yeah. excuse to play it. Um, and there's so many games out in that area that do that. Um, and I'm sorry, I, can't, I, I always keep bringing up the Sega Saturn for that, where a lot of people looks at the Sega Saturn main lineup like Knights and things and goes, it's so short. I don't get it. It's pointless. Mm. The score system is exactly what it's like in Tony Hawk's, where 
you sit there and you've got a mate, you might be playing it together, and then someone someone goes, Oh yeah, I got ten million on this score, on this on this level, and your mate goes, I got twelve. Oh, it's on, son. Yeah. I've got a reason to go back and I've done it, I've got all the missions, I've collected everything, but now my mate has got, you know, more points than I have, so I'll go back and play. And that. you even had multiplayer games more- like you had multiplayer games like there was tag where you had to see who could do the most tricks on the most amount of objects or you had like combo mumbo where you had to try and literally see who could do the most amount of the highest score in in one attempt sort of thing so there was always that that sort of aspect of it that that kept people coming but yeah tony i i I didn't mention tony hawk pro skater three and four mainly because they just are, are so weak compared to their um playstation 2 counterparts so i think yeah tony hawk pro skate 2 is, is definitely definitely the one for me it's, it's a great game, game to play it's not on my list no but it you know I, I highly recommend it um number five we can quickly go over because we've talked about them a lot already um insert final fantasy 7 or 9 here um i i so stop shaking your head you like, just cheat you're like you're like oh top 10 games um so for for number seven, I want to say the entirety of this franchise. For number I'll six, I want to say the whole of this franchise. Because there were so little good games on the PlayStation One. That if uh, they're all franchise based, Crash Bandicoot One, Two, and Three takes three slots up in your top ten, and that means I don't talk about great games like Soul Reaver, Mega Man, or Project Raiden. So Final Fantasy would be the same. So I can't. I can't I wait for care. our. T- can't wait for our top ten NES games where you go number six, Mega Man's one through six. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't care which Final Fantasy you put there because I think nine is better. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. Yeah. But seven, I appreciate just as much. However, I refuse to take up two slots over a game that is so slightly better than the other one, or slightly kind of all right in different areas that I don't want to take up two slots just to chuck them in there because I've played more games than that. And the, the PlayStation 1 has some hidden gems that people don't talk about. So, yeah, I don't, you know, we've talked about it enough. Put whatever one you want in there. And if you don't, if, you, if you've left one off, then clearly you've, that doesn't matter and it doesn't deserve to be in the top 10. So shut up, Mike, and get on with it. What's your number four? So number four um, is, is a really gross game because it is a 2D game and 2D games are gross. Um, especially if you're in the 90s. Um, right. no, yeah, not, not yeah. 2D games are ancient, so who cares about them? Uh, but yeah, my number four game, I don't think there's going to be much um, discourse about this one. Um, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Um, it's, it's, what, what can I say that hasn't been said about Castlevania? I mean, I've said a lot in 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 my review on it, but that's that's that's, that's not the point. Um, <laughs> God, um, <laughs> every every episode he drops one in there, people. Yeah. Um, Watch Ca- his bloody YouTube channel. Do it now. Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Um, not only was it did it pioneer the the term Metroidvania, being half of that um, that label, but Symphony of the Night, I think, was the change up that the series needed. Um, uh, Castlevania, they, they they kind of well, Sim- Symphony of the Night had its own sort of trend of games that sort of felt somewhat similar in in some ways. But Castlevania was kind of becoming. I feel like where do you go from like Rondo of Blood in terms of in terms of evolving that formula? I think 
Symphony of the Night did a great way to in- incorporate sort of a completely different style of gameplay. I think one thing that's great about Symphony of the Night is not only do I just enjoy that style of game, um, having one big map that you've sort of got to comb through, finding different upgrades and such, but I also think that it's um, it ha- the music was phenomenal. Uh, the the you know going fighting all the different enemies and all the different bosses, I thought thought were great. I think the only thing the only thing I didn't like about Symphony of the Night so much is I think that the inverted castle isn't as interesting and I also felt that you'd you clutter your inventory of a lot of stuff you'll just never use like I got um as soon as I got the gear that Alucard started the game with I kind of just kept that for the most part because you lose because you lose your um like some of your best gear straight away and then you end up sort of getting it later but I, once I sort of got that gear, I sort of kept hold of it and didn't really swap it out until I found a random sword drop that just made every enemy a joke. So I think the only reason I I wouldn't put Castlevania Symphony of the Night higher is because the second half feels a little bit like a rehash and the also the fact that I just kind of wish that the gameplay was not necessarily more difficult, but the, the boss fights particularly um, pushed me a little bit more uh, to learn their mechanics and such. Because it was very much, a lot of the time, I'd sit in a corner, spam the attack button and they'd die. So it, it didn't feel so much like I... Uh, Did you try some of the secret bosses? Um, what's, what sort of secret bosses? Um, I, hun- I 100%ed the map, so I must have done... I can't remember what the names of them are. Sorry, because it's been. I, I love Castlevania, um, but Symphony of the Night compared to the Game Boy Advance ones, I spent more time with the Game Boy Advance ones. Yeah. But Symphony of the Night has. I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Symphony of the Night is a fantastic game and was terribly underrated. But I think people need to realise that. Yes, it was underrated and that was an injustice, but that doesn't justify it being this god-tier game that's better than other stuff. Um, mm. it, it also has its has its flaws. But what I find about Symphony of the Night um, is it's always surprising me because not many people played it. So optional boss, boss, bosses, you've got Be- Be- Belzebub, Fake Cypher, and Gallimoth, um, which are actually quite tough. The one with the it's a giant piece of golden armor with an electric rod. Okay. Um, you you don't really get anything for beating him, but when you find him, he's really tough. Um, but the reason I bring it up is that you know you were saying uh, a lot of your items become worthless. Mm-hmm. Those three bosses actually make you move around your items more. Yeah. To play with certain combinations to make the bosses easier. Like, yeah. you might get a, a, a slightly, uh, I can't, again, it's been so long, I'm really sorry, I can't remember the combinations I used, but you, you find an item that hits really weakly, but it hits like hundreds of times in a few seconds when you hit it. Yeah. So you, that's when you would switch off some of your things. Um, and also, the Upside Down Castle was a mystery back then. Yeah. A lot of people know about it. So I remember reading about it in a magazine after I'd finished the game and then revisited it. Yeah. 
Um, so that was a big thing for me. And I, I, it was, again, it gave me a reason to come back. But the game is constantly surprising me by all these little hidden tricks and stuff that are in the game. Yeah. And that's what makes it, ranks it a lot higher than a lot of the other games I've mentioned before. Um, as you'll see where it comes in, in my list as I get on. It, it is dated now. A lot of people think it's timeless. I disagree with that. I don't think it's timeless. I think... Yeah, the Game Boy Advance versions and the DS versions are, are better games. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people think they like Castlevania Symphony of the Night, but then they haven't played the sequels. Yeah. Possibly because they're worried it's going to sully Symphony of the Night. I don't know. I don't get it. But I, I got really into the Castlevania lore because of this game um, after mm. the first one really hit home with me and I missed a lot of the others. I went back and played them. Um yeah, I mean, the level design, the music's really good. When you said earlier that Final Fantasy VII has probably the best soundtrack, there are some tracks in this that that, that are really good. Yeah. Um, especially when you find some... I, I, see, I, this is the problem. Am I getting them mixed up with the PSP re-release? Because I think you can pick up some discs in, in Symphony of the Night and replace some that, of the music. That would be the, the PSP re-release. Mm -hmm. Was there none in the original one? Not, in, not in the original. No, I've, none. The PSP one's diff weird because they changed like the dialogue and stuff, so they completely re-recorded yeah. and rewrote everything. So the um, the iconic line in the first get in the original right at the start, the um, "What is a man?" What is a man. That that whole thing is just not in the. Um, the well, the thing I said, I, I know they changed the 3D one on the PC, PSP a lot, but I, you get the original Symphony Night on as an unlockable extra in the PSP game. Okay. And that's what makes me think. That's what. See, all this. I've, I've played Symphony Night so many times on so many different versions, I do yeah. get mixed up. So there might be. I know you pick up discs in the PSP version, but I can't remember if you do that on the unlockable version as well as. And I also got the Sega Saturn version in my head, where you have additional characters that you unlock later yeah. in the PlayStation One. So all you know, all of this jumble of this, of this is is difficult. So it's going to be difficult for me to centre down to the PlayStation yeah. version one, and I might be saying stuff that's not in that particular version. But ultimately, that game is constantly surprising me. There's always somebody who finds a different technique, a speed run technique, a new item combination, or something mm. that changes that game. I also um, think the art, the art in that game, that. it like the art in that game is absolutely stunning like it looks yeah you look at like the designs for like alucard which was so um he was so in incredibly designed that when they went to the castlevania anime they more or less just ripped his symphony of the night design in, yeah. and and, and incorporated in the show and it's like um but i think i think the that comboed with rondo of blood is probably like the the most interesting um sort of era in the Castlevania timeline for me maybe maybe I'd change my mind if I'd played the Aria games because I know a lot of people like um, Soma Cruz but um, yeah a, a lot of people say that I mean I, I'm very fond of Super Castlevania and Castlevania 1 yeah didn't like a lot of the sequels after that um, and I think Castlevania 3 is very overrated then when Symphony of the Night came out, I played it a lot later than a lot of other people. But when I did, I was blown away, and I was because it, it seems like oh, this is just another Castlevania game. Yeah. The more you put into it, the more it says this isn't the Castlevania you remember. Yeah. And I did. I, I, it's very rarely I played a game and then put it down thinking I knew what the game was telling me. 
I always completed it to the end and then it told me more. Then when I found out about the reverse castle, I went back and played it again. And that's what I mean. The game never left me. It mm. kept coming back and it kept saying, there's something else we have been keeping secret from you and you don't know about. And it was, it, for years, it kept coming me coming back to play it. Yeah. But the, the Game Boy Advance games are a, where a lot of people say, you know, like so you say, Soma Cruz is, is a good character. I, I think it got a little silly. It was Order of Ecclesia that got me back into the series that a lot of people just does not talk about. Okay. But the new mechanics they put in that game and a lot of the guff they cut out was so interesting. Um, so I will, you know, we're, we're not talking about DS games here, but Order of Ecclesia is probably one of my favorite Final Fantasy, uh, sorry, Castlevania games. Yeah. And it's seriously underrated. And that is probably the best evolution of what Symphony of the Night was trying to do. Okay. So what's your number four then? My number four is Metal Gear Solid. Okay, yep, no, that's that's fair enough. I I would try to lie to myself and say that I you know I don't like uh, Kojima and his games and and things like that. But Metal Gear Solid One is um, there's a reason most people consider it to be their top PlayStation One game. Mm-hmm. I think it's more story orientated than anything else. Yeah. No, and I think once you know the story, a lot of the appeal of the game goes away. Mm-hmm. But if when I was trying to put this list together and thinking, if I put Metal Gear Solid lower than Crash Bandicoot, lower than Tomb Raider, lower than Soul Reaver, I'd be doing the gaming industry an injustice. Because there's something about Metal Gear yeah. which puts all of these combinations together that when playing it for the first time, well, I think that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. When playing it for the first time, it takes you on this amazing journey into this world of this really cool badass character yeah. and these awesome bosses and and scenario that you have to go through Shadow Moses and it feels like you've come in halfway through something that has so much history to it which is true but you don't need to know about it it tells you enough about it as, when you're playing it um and everything's so interesting and the lore is so so compelling as you play that the first time you play it, you think it's the best game you've ever played. But much like a movie, the more you play it, a lot of it is sort of lost because you know what's going to happen. It doesn't change its gameplay enough as you play. And there's not much in the way of replay value besides those story beats that you come back to and reliving those awesome characters and sort of experiencing those. But it left such an impression. Metal Gear Solid was a game I played and my sister who um, doesn't really play games that much. No. But she stopped everything she was doing just to watch the story with me. Yeah. She was. She just sat there once she heard the first little bit. And the, I didn't even ask her. I didn't. Even, normally I'd call her and go, Lisa, check this out. She literally came in and go, what's that? And then she didn't leave because no. the game was that. There's something, if that happens, there's something about that game, isn't there? Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, even though I constantly bang on about gameplay over storyline, hmm. To, to to not make myself look like a raging idiot, I had to give Metal Gear Solid its props. It had such an impact on the industry. It's such a round, all-round package and amazing first-time gameplay experience that it had to be there. And if I said some of the other games that I have mentioned were above Metal Gear Solid, I'd be a laughingstock. Um, and I truthfully can't lie and say that it should be lower on the list even for its gameplay shortcomings. Because it was just such an amazing achievement. Yeah, I think I think one of the more underplayed aspects of um, Metal Gear Solid One, which I think 
the series later on struggled to capture is that Metal Gear Solid 1 has such a like an at- atmosphere to it like there's yeah. such a all the all all the game all the like um soundtrack has like the same sort of motifs in it and like Shadow Moses itself which is almost like a character in itself it's like it all kind of bleeds into into everything else but not in a way that makes it feel all samey it's kind of like you feel like you were in a cold dark um industrial you know complex and it's like the like if you if you listen to the battle music for example each version builds on the next adding more instruments um hyping it up if you just take the alert theme the theme that goes when you're just fighting regular soldiers that is is there and then and then the the boss fight music is sounds similar but it's built on even more and then fighting rex it's built on even more than that and then when you're escaping the building um in in a car shooting shooting at liquid snake it's built on even more and it's like there's this encompassing thing that i think like for example big shell in metal gear solid 2 didn't capture is is, is the fact that shadow mo like shadow moses just has something about it and and the and foxhound as well just metal gear solid series tried to replicate the genius of the foxhound members but they never quite um reach those heights and even though i i personally prefer metal gear solid 3 i think that and that metal gear solid 1 has the best um uh, best bosses not necessarily boss fights but best bosses in regards to personality best um best you know place locale that you're in um some of the best story i think the only thing that holds metal gear solid one back is its gameplay today is very hard to go back to the graphics i can kind of look past because at the end of the day it's just something i'm looking at but that gameplay does have a certain jank to it i'll go up to an enemy and i'll try and strangle them but I'll end up just throwing them on the floor or like that stupid, absolutely dreadful torture sequence where, because I'm, pl- I have to, cause I can't, I haven't got a PlayStation one. I have to play it on, a, on a bloody, like on the PS3 or the, um, I have to play it on, on an emulator where there's like just a little bit of button latency. So when I'm button mashing, like I just feel like my fingers are going to fall off and it's just so stressful. Um, I didn't have that problem because I played on the original but, um, when I still do. But other than but that, it's my yeah. my I I I agree. I think it would be folly to judge Metal Gear for being the movie inspiration it was trying to be. Yeah. If I tried to judge it like a game, then I would be that that wasn't what Metal Gear was trying to be. It yeah. was trying to be a movie in a game. And it, if there's any game that gave the PlayStation One personality and explain where PlayStation would differ to its competitors going forward, it would be Metal Gear, where they put story over a lot of other things. But you're right, it was such an open and closed case for me. They didn't need to have a sequel. We could have just been, that was it, you know? You could play that whole game and... I really liked the remake on GameCube, and I know a lot of people didn't, but that's because it didn't take itself too seriously. And my biggest issues with a lot of the other Metal Gear games is they try to be too serious mm. with occasional jokes, whereas Metal Gear knew what it was trying to be or maybe through lack of graphics had no choice but to be what it was. 
Um, and I think the remake lent into that, and that's why I enjoy the remake more. But it it sort of hits its story beats so well, mm. and it kind of enjoys its what it what it's trying. M- most of the game is the codec moments. Yeah. When you talk about graphics and things, you you kind of watching those story moments play out. And like yeah. you said, those, those twists and turns to the storyline were so ridiculous, but they were kind of fun. And no, nothing is recaptured or made better than things that they did. You know, when, when a lot of people talk about Psycho Madness reading your memory card, which is, is cool, and you have to play it in, in, in number two to beat it, and looking on the back of the package, whatever that meant, to yeah. try and find the Kodak for Meryl. Yeah. But even things like putting the controller on your shoulder because you've hurt your shoulder and it vibrates, and, you know, all of, all of that kind of stuff. There's nothing they did in the later games that ever reached that kind of moment. Um, and and like I said, Metal Gear just brought it all together in a, in this wonderful package. Is it a great game? No, but it it's a yeah. PlayStation One top ten list, and there's very few games that will speak PlayStation One more than Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, I think I think it's it's one of those games that I can't I can't. It's it's a weird one where I can I can I I want to recommend it to people, but just know going in there's that. Um, that they're going to be that weird sort of hurdle getting over the gameplay, but yeah, I think one I'd argue that Metal Gear Solid One is kind of almost like the most grounded in the series that which I think contrasts well with like when Psycho Mantis because like until Psycho Mantis shows up like that is that is it's almost like the game is is aiming to be as realistic as possible like all you do is like go in on a you know, going underwater and you infiltrate a base, you know, there's nothing out, you know, completely mental. And, you know, Meryl aims a gun at you and it's like, you know, and, and all that. But when I think one thing that I think Twin Snakes, because Twin Snakes was goofy throughout, I think um, when you when you see like a cyborg ninja, when you see a psycho mantis, it's not like, whoa, what, what what's this? It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah fair enough. Maybe I, I think I know what you mean. You you kind of those those crazy highs kind of counteract the, when you've the, got when you've got like when you've got Rex shows up, it, you know a literal like metal death machine and and um, you see Snake just try and kick it and then do a backflip like that just doesn't feel right to me. It's just like well, I thought that was so much cooler than just the pop up of trying to see Metal Gear Rex in that little hangar and you, you walk too far away from him and you can't see him and a missile's flying at you because he's just off screen. Um I would much rather have it lean into those kind of cutscenes and all of all, there's so much that Snake says which is kind of like dude that's not deep that's just stupid. <laughs> Um, and when he's like, you have to be on the battlefield to understand what you are as a man and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe. Um, and I think when they're delivered in Metal Gear uh, Twin Snakes, that I, I let him get away with that a lot more because it, he's the stuff he says and does uh, in the game, like hiding in a cardboard box. Oh, that got you through many battlefields. I could imagine that. You know, you you, you go on about how you're this veteran war. Uh, war hero and your biggest claim to fame is you had hidden a cardboard box in Twin Snakes I can believe that in in a lot of the others it just seems a bit hard to swallow but anyway we could talk about Metal Gear forever couldn't we Mike yeah, what's your 100%. what's your number three uh, so number three um, is 
what is, in my opinion, the my favourite um, JRPG on the on the PlayStation One. And I know this is a game you haven't played, which is um, Sui Coden Two. Looking forward now, to playing it eventually, though. We'll um, now, Sui Coden One was I, I didn't put it on my list because it's uh, it, I don't know it's it's hard when you when you sort of. Uh, going from the first game to the second one because the second one does feel like so much of an upgrade. It's almost like, even though you have, I feel like you sh- you get rewarded by playing both because there's a lot of characters in Suikoden One that turn up in Suikoden Two, and not just like as cameos but like as main characters. So I think there is merit in playing both, and also you can have like your, your save file transfers over, which at the time was unheard of. So that's quite really? cool. If you got Suikoden one, it goes to two, does it? Yeah, you can tra- you transfer over your save, and um, yeah, certain things certain things carry over. Like, what do you mean certain things? Because I want to get one on the Saturn and what and two on um, the PlayStation. Well, things like things like you can literally get the protagonist from the first game on your team, right? As like a recruitable he character, he's this. He's like the most powerful character in the game, next to the main character in Suikoden two. Yeah, but is he worth it? Is he interesting? Is it good? Or is it just like, you know, cloud in Final Fantasy Tactics where it's just alright, but not worth it? I I think I, I think it's um I, I think it's I personally think it's worth it. There are other things as well, like it's weird things like if you get the best armor for a certain character, um, and equip him with them, in the next game he's got that same armor equipped, but there's no way of obtaining it in the second game. So and oh, and the stuff that he cool. can get is nowhere near as good as as what he got in the first game. So you can literally like equip him with some in, insane gear, and it just doesn't carry over. Oh, sweet! Sweet, sweet, and one is one of those games where it's kind of um, both. In fact, both games are kind of worth um, re- recruiting everyone because for those who don't know, because it is more of a niche series, is. You're essentially a person who is thrust into like a rebellion. Uh, this is kind of the plot of both games, though there are um, differences, of course. Uh, you're thrust into like this rebellion, and you kind of become the leader of said rebellion. And you've got to build up this group of a uh, hundred and eight stars of destiny. They're referred to, and not only are these one people that actually fight in your party, because you actually have a party of six, which is actually is better than it sounds. Um, but when you recruit people, one of those 108 stars of destiny could be a blacksmith. Uh, it could be an innkeeper. It can be a shopkeeper. And, and they all live in your castle. Right. So as you recruit each of these people, you see your castle build and build and build. So you end up with this mass army and um, you actually do proper battles and things like that. Like you do these like army versus army type battles, which are are really cool. And um, one of the best things that you can do is there's certain parts in the story where you get this thing called a duel. It's kind of like a rock, paper, scissors type thing. But the... The sin for a sprite-based game, the cinematics in Suikoden are incredible. You've got the camera that sort of 
swoops around the battlefield as you're doing this epic duel and it'll be like they'll do a, a desperate like attack and you'll you'll sort of defend it and and you've got sort of um you have this sort of big epic back battle and it's really fun but the reason i chose suikoden 2 over suikoden 1 is because um you play as essentially this kid who's part of an army who um is betrayed by said army and he runs away with his best friend um who and they later up move um meet up with the main protagonist's sister and those three characters there is such a incredible bond between them and as trials and tribulations things ups and downs like there is is such an incredible relationship that when i sort of got to the end end sort of credits i had such a big smile on my face and the it's honestly probably the best game i've i've seen from that generation in regards to um pixel art like the right. uh, the range in animation is staggering and it, it's it's got a fluidity to it that i didn't know you could do with sprites and um i just found it so captivating and the only thing i'd really say that was negative about sregadon 2 is more so the fact that you can recruit so many characters that even though they do what they can to make them all feel unique like other other games you sort of gravitate towards your favorites but they do have um some of them do have like dual text like in chrono trigger so they'll have certain um techniques that they can combine like um the main character in two and his best friend they do this attack where they sort of do a big circle around all the enemies and do like a attack that takes out all of them or yeah. like um there's one that the main protagonist has of his sister where they both like because they, they both have martial artists they're both martial artists like the main protagonist has um i think they're called tomfa are they called tomfa there's like the, police baton yeah, things like batons with which go across yeah four arms well he, ha- he has yeah, tomf he has that's what he that's his weapon he has tomfas um and you both do this like special attack and um there's, there's like charming stuff like there's a random chance that the attack move looks different where you're doing all these incredible moves and your sister like there's just flashes of like your sister like sipping on tea and and just like lying uh, like snoring on the floor and stuff like that there's a lot of there's a lot of um charm to suikoden 2 and and i think it's the unfortunate thing about it is because it came at a time when people kind of disregarded sprite based games uh, especially after final fantasy 7 it kind of bombed and that's why if you want to get a copy in the wild you could be looking at sort of 200 quid to get it yeah, which is mental. 200 to 300 pounds is uh, suicoden 2 at the moment which is the only reason i haven't actually got it on my shelf to play yeah uh, but i am looking forward to it i uh, i might need to look at other means i was like the sega saturn is getting sort of a um a renaissance at the moment where people are fans are translating games and releasing them like they were new hmm. um Coden one has recently been translated so i was keen to get that on the sega saturn hmm. for my preference but now you've said they kind of link together maybe i need to rethink that i don't know hmm. 
but I am really looking forward to it based on what you've said. Yeah. And it does sound like the kind of RPG I would favour, where yeah. things actually matter on yeah. what you do, uh, especially if the battle system is is as varied as you say. Um, that will keep me going right to the end. And if it has that little tip at the end of the game where it all pays off, then it'll be the the icing on the cake. So I'm looking really. It's one of really it's one of the easier RPGs to play from a combat perspective as well. So there's no, there was no foot on the brakes where I had to sort of grind or or anything like that. Which and is it, definitely. And the the dungeons aren't complicated, but to be honest, like I don't really care. It was very much like a linear dungeon with the occasional fork in the road to get a chest, but to be completely honest, like that didn't really bother me. I was just happy to get through the dungeon quicker, if I'm being completely honest. You get to the bit that you like the most. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to playing it. I really am. It's one of one of but you know, if I had a top ten list I can't wait to play, it would definitely be And and something worth something worth mentioning, um, more so for you, Bill, is if you get if you're the same level or higher than your enemies there is a button, the run button turns to, it says let go instead, which means the game is basically telling you there's no point fighting these enemies and you can just escape with 100% efficiency, which meant that like, there would, you've got random encounters but you can quite easily skip a good chunk of them and it doesn't penalise you for it and the, and the, it's balanced in a way that any character who's under leveled gets an unholy amount of XP so if you've got a level one character and you're all level 40, it'll take you like five battles and they've caught up. It's really good how they've, how they've done it. I, I, I can imagine a lot of RPG purists would say, oh my God, you're ruining the experience. But for me, that just sounds so, so good. Such a great idea because yeah. I don't believe in having to do repetitive tasks just to earn XP for no other reason, just so you can continue the story. So having yeah. little mechanics like that it means it's leaps and bounds ahead of its time. Um, so again, as the, again, the more you tell me about this game, Mike, the more I want to play it. So yeah, um, yeah I'm looking forward Fair to enough. it. Uh, we are on number three, aren't we? Yes. Okay, my number three is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yes. Um, I, I think we're constantly... going to run into um, territory where we've sort of talked about <laughs> games. I, yes. I haven't got much yeah, to we say. Yeah, so we'll, we'll catch up on a bit of time here. But uh, yeah. I was constantly arguing about going backwards and towards forwards between three and four being metal gear solid and castlevania symphony of the night just yeah. purely because of the same argument really pixel based gameplay versus 3d gameplay mm -hmm. but like i said before castlevania constantly surprises me and i'd much rather go back and play castlevania over and over again than i would metal gear so i do rate it higher um as a result so what's your number two my number two is crash bandicoot 2 now i get it's probably the Crash Bandicoot 2 is probably the game that I've replayed the most on the PlayStation 2. Now, um, I, I, as we've stated many times on this podcast, is I'm somewhat of a completionist. And I find the Crash games extremely addictive to get all the gems in by breaking all the boxes. And, you know... these that. The second game introduced like death roots and things which incentivize you to sort of get to that point in the level without dying and you've got all the uh, the colored gems and and things like that but um and you got see you get a secret ending for collecting all the gems and this was before they introduced time trials which you know are the worst because they are in every game but and for the record the secret ending isn't worth it really I, yeah, I thought to be honest, I I enjoy 
breaking all the boxes and and stuff so like getting the secret ending was just kind of a nice icing on the cake like i would have done it anyway um plus like my brain can't can't cope if i get to the end of a level and it's like you've got 50 boxes out of 52 i'm like well i guess i'm restarting the level then i can't can't. whereas i'm like ah there's forget i'll leave those last two boxes for mike you can pick those up so but yeah i've I've, the introduction of the slide i really liked i think a lot of people um just saw it as like a way to slide under obstacles but um if you followed it up with a spin it got you a bit more speed or if you followed a slide up with a jump you got extra height and distance so i kind of when i when i wanted to get through the game quick that was kind of the the methods that i use and i found the game more fun by doing it that way and i, I think, think the, the addition of that mechanic is going back to what we said about tony hawks where the first time you play the game you get the basics and then you get like good at the game. Yeah. But then there's another level to things like Crash Two and Three, where you, those extra mechanics make you master the game. Yeah. You don't get that with Crash One because you don't have those extra mechanics. Imagine playing Mario sixty four without the long jump, triple jump, and backflip. Yeah. You know, it's it's those three moves that make Mario sixty four for the expert players interesting to watch because they bend the game and break it to its to its will while they do these impossible things and crash two and three like you've said knocks on that quite quite strongly when you have those extra mechanics isn't it and that's why you should not get the um time trials for the remake of uh crash one and two specifically but especially crash one which i've done but i didn't enjoy any of it so yeah don't do that <laughs> there we go and there's there's a story for you there right we're on number two are we yes um i've got resident evil 2 okay um, we've talked about that at length. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think Resident Evil 3, we touched on a little bit, is worth mentioning in my rule of I can add a franchise and I don't care what you say kind of rule that I have. Okay. Um, where, like I said, Resident Evil 3 had the choices for Nemesis, the um, active like counter system where you're rolling away and, and the threat of Nemesis coming out of nowhere and that bloody music hitting and it was great. But you, if I had to choose one... Based on, again, the replay value, the extra unlocks, the scenario A versus scenario B mentality of Resident Evil 2, and just the damn fun of finding all the items and what unblocks what and what goes into what, that, that, we talked about it too much and we need to move on, but Resident Evil 2, um, even after I played the remake of Resident Evil 1, which was pretty much my first experience really where i actually got into the series when they remade it for gamecube yeah they were going to remake them all for the gamecube but the gamecube didn't sell well enough for capcom to warrant the money doing it yeah so instead they just released resident evil 2 and 3 in its original state but playing them even on the gamecube as a re-release for a budget i loved every minute of it and that just proves how well those games hold up even now and the um the best way to play play them today is um you can get they fans have released texture packs for for two and three on gamecube for um dolphin so they've completely redone every single background so it looks it looks in hd but not like in the in the weird like resident evil 4 hd thing where they've just upresed it but they've actually taken every single individual background and completely like redone it so it looks like it's been been done today so that's really it's really impressive what the the fans have done with it and i definitely think that's the best way to play it 
Um, Drum roll, Mike. What's your number one PlayStation 1 game? Well, before I do that, I just want to mention, as you've mentioned your honourable mentions, I just want oh, to, right. you, I yeah, you want to mention, a f- went mention a few. I won't go too into detail for it. Um, Are you, is that a jab at me? Are you having a go at me? Because I had loads of. You rattled mentions. them off. You didn't go into great detail. Don't be so defensive, Bill. Okay, all right. I'm just, just checking. So, um, um, Toy Story 2. Thought it was quite a surprising for a movie tying game. Not gonna. That's actually a good game. Yeah, that's yeah. actually really enjoyable. Not, that game. Not gonna pretend like it's as good as like, you know, Banjo Kazooie or Mario sixty four because obviously isn't. But like, if if I if I had a child and I and I wanted him to have a go at a collectathon, it wouldn't be a bad one to sort of start him off on. Um, yeah, my, my sister got it for Christmas and I hated her for it until I played it and actually yeah, it was actually really enjoyable. It yeah. does sort of fall apart towards the end, later levels, it is, it is very much surprisingly like, yeah. It is very much like every level has the same types of collectibles in it. So it's like, oh, you've got to get the... Um, you know, you've obviously got your coins and stuff, but you've got to, you've got to get five shoes for, for whoever. You've got to find five sheep for Bo Peep or like... Yeah, and I find when you start going to the toy farmhouse type levels that it's, it, yeah, it made sense because they were in the movie, but they made pretty dull levels to play around compared to, you know, going around Andy's toy room and the garden and the sewers. Also, it had such a, such a surprisingly good soundtrack. I don't know yeah. why, but it sounded like the soundtrack was just, like, really good. And, and, and you can't stream it. You can't stream Toy Story 2 because it literally has cutscenes from the movie in it. So yeah. you will literally get your your Twitch or YouTube channel shut down if you try to play it. Um, but it's, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. Well done for bringing it up. Another honourable mention is um, Crash Team Racing. I still contend, uh, as I did in my uh, Crash Team Racing versus Diddy Kong Racing versus... Um, Mario Kart 64. I still contend. <laughs> I still contend that it is the best out of the three. Though the only reason it's an honourable mention is because it's kind of it's kind of weird to put it on a pedestal, seeing as the remake is literally better in every single way, as opposed to a lot of the other PS1 games on the list. Where I, in fact, there's not a single game on this list that I actually prefer the remake um, of. So, but. Um, and, and my, racing is still better, but okay. And and my my last honourable mention is um, Spyro Two. Now Spyro, it, I I played the um, remake first, and I I never grew up with Spyro. Obviously, I always knew what Spyro was. Um, the second one's definitely the best out of a trilogy, and I enjoyed it for what it was. But I'd be lying if I said it left much of an impression of me. Even though I can, Spyro 2 is probably the best collectathon on the PlayStation. I wouldn't say that it's well, unless you count Crash. But you know, I'd I'd say that it was it was still enjoyable, even if, like I said, it didn't didn't leave a huge impression on me. Spyro is a weird one for me as well because Spyro was always the one that your kid sister or your girlfriend preferred because Spyro was cute. Yeah. Um, and compared to Crash, I just don't think the level design is, is as tight. And although it's more of an open world yeah. kind of collectathon, like it was going more Louis. for like the yeah, more for sort of the crowd of like a Mario six. It was trying to be like the Mario sixty four or the Banjo Kazooie sort of equivalent. Yeah, but none of the worlds were that interesting. Uh, Spyro's moves 
were cumbersome for me. Now I haven't played the third one because I had such a. I played the remakes and the and the originals like mm-hmm. I do with Crash when I was catching up. Yeah, but it was playing them back to back just felt so so monotonous that I I haven't brought myself to play the third one yet. Um, it's still on my list of things to play, but it's just because I wasn't that interested in the world. It's it's like a bit like Harry Potter. When I was playing it, it felt like Harry Potter when I could have been watching, I don't know, Star Wars or something. Right. It's, um, it, it, yeah, it's whimsical, it's magical, the main character's cute, and it's kind of cool that they've got this kind of school that dragons go to to learn how to be dragons and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's it's not really anything that's pulling me through to the next level or to see anything else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I respect Spyro, but definitely not in my top. Yes. Yeah, Spyro 2 is definitely my favourite out of the three for the same reason Crash 2 is. It's very much like the first one's jank, the second one's like refined everything and then the third one kind of throws too much at the wall and tries to go too sort of out there with its mechanics. I can't remember any part of Spyro that's memorable except for like the dragons turning into crystals and trying to find stuff to open like the next level they're just annoyances that got in the way but i can't think of anything that made me go this game is really fun yeah other than like characters like money bags um there aren't that many memorable characters either um so it's kind of like but you know that's why it's an honorable mention and it's not not in my top 10 um But um, ba- judging, obviously anyone listening could probably do some sort of deductions and be wondering why I'm not mentioning um, Metal Gear Solid. Um, yeah. I think it. It. I think because the, if, if trying to justify why it's at number one, um, do I think it has the worst game? Do I think it has rough gameplay? It does. Um, you know, we got into well. We got into a similar debate with Chrono Trigger, though I admit Chrono Trigger has better gameplay than Metal Gear Solid. Um, but I think the just a, a, there's a vibe to Metal Gear Solid, and and the characters and the story's just so good, and the, and the soundtrack, and uh, there's just something about Metal Gear Solid. I think it tops a lot of people's PlayStation One game lists um, for those for for those reasons. So I think. Instead of, in, in, it's like, yeah, the gameplay is a bit of a hindrance, but if anything, the fact that it's at number one just shows how great everything else shines, this, despite of, of you know, the maybe not as refined gameplay that sort of, you know, happened at the time. I think Metal Gear is so different to everything else that is on the PlayStation 1 that yeah. it kind of it kind of lends itself away to sort of go, you know, when, you, when you're trying to think of all the titles that are on the PlayStation 1, there is nothing like Metal Gear Solid. No. And, and that alone sort of moves it away from a lot of contention about, well, I think Suikoden is better than Final Fantasy, or um, I think Spyro might be better than Crash, or whatever you, your arguments might be. Yeah, of course. When it comes to Metal Gear, there is only one. So mm-hmm. that, that alone distances itself. Um, and I've I've spoken a lot about Metal Gear when I spoke about it in my fourth slot. Um, mm-hmm. And even me, someone who who values gameplay over everything else, I still re- valued Metal Gear that highly on a PlayStation One list. It yeah. just is the PlayStation One game. Um, it's just you know, is it a great story? Is it Shakespeare? No, but it's it's goofy fun. Um, and I was 
when a game is is grabbed you from beginning to end like Metal Gear does, you can't really argue that it's not a good game. I'd say the only thing it really lacks in, other than maybe the jank gameplay, is just the replay value is a bit weak. But as as a single experience going through it, you know, going through it once, I think it's definitely something that sticks with you. It certainly is a lot solid than more more than Final Fantasy VII, which a lot of people argue is the number one PlayStation One game. If it's not Metal Gear, in your opinion, yeah. I would argue the Metal Gear Solid going from beginning to end in that is a lot better experience than it is playing Final Fantasy VII from beginning. Yeah, to end. there's a difference between a forty hour experience or or like a eight to ten hour experience, and I think Metal Gear Solid benefits from being a you know a more sort of a shorter solid experience. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, you may have noticed that there was a lack of a genre on my list. Um, I, I, I've been looking at, I've been doing some research just so I, I didn't, um, didn't, you know, I looked at a lot of other PlayStation one lists just because I didn't want there to be that one game that I forgot. Um, (laughs) and there was one game that I kept seeing crop up and I'd honestly be shocked if it's not your number one just because of how much i know you love the genre so uh okay go on give it <laughs> give it here what is it well i've i've argued this before and i think i need to do a better job to explain it now rather than just being a meme but honestly my favorite game on the playstation one is street fighter alpha 3 yeah no that's what i thought you were you yeah. were gonna pick and let me let me just take a moment of your time where everyone else is going what really better than resident evil better than castlevania better than metal gear and final fantasy yeah because i kept coming back to this game i keep coming back to it now and if you are there is no 2d fighting game that has more in it than this game even if i just went through the different modes of what this game has let me give you an example of what it can do. Because I know most people play a 2D fighting game and be like, oh, it's all over and done within an hour. Yeah. There was arcade mode with with eight different difficulties. And I think there was something like 30 characters in this game who all play completely and utterly different. Right. When you pick up a character and the game changes, that's 30 times you play the story mode just yeah. to see their individual ending, how they play, learn how they play them and try and get to their nuances. Mm-hmm. Then you move on to the other modes where you have dramatic battle, mm-hmm. where you and a friend team up against the computer. Yeah. Now, that alone, that little aspect of the game is like playing Streets of Rage on the Mega Drive with your mate. Where you pick, you can choose any character in the whole roster and you just go through the bosses one by one. It's like you having a boss rush with your mate. Yeah. And I played that with my friend to start a gaming session every weekend because it was a blast it was literally like having streets of rage on the playstation yeah so that small aspect alone is is enough there then you've got create character on world tour mode okay which is like an rpg version of street fighter again 30 characters so each character is different and you basically go round the round the world, challenging fighters in different kinds of scenarios. Maybe two on one, maybe endurance. We got to take on five or eight opponents one after the other. Yeah. Supercharged level up bosses, and might be twenty levels higher than you. And when you beat them, you get um, items to attach to your character to give you more abilities. Mm-hmm. Whether that be blocking in midair or extra charge gauge or whatever it might be. And then you can use that character once you've gone through the world tour mode, this RPG round the world kind of thing with one of the hardest last bosses in 
Street Fighter history, which are two supercharged Bisons with unlimited special move, which is ridiculous and can kill you in one hit. Yeah. You have to build this character to try and combat them. You can take that character you've built in RPG mode and fight your mates with that same RPG built character. So, Jesus. along along with that, there's that that is more content on its own than any other 2D fighting game available at the time. Yeah. Then you've got things like survival mode, going for high scores, and it goes on and on and on what that game has in it. Now. That uh, That is fine, but one thing you said in the past, Mike, is you wanted to hear what made Street Fighter Alpha as a game different to the other Street Fighters and separated it. Yeah. There's stuff in Street Fighter Alpha that's still used today. Um, okay. Refinements on things, like choosing... Uh, before Street Fighter, there wasn't really um, too much choosing of a, of, a, of a technique. You have three special bars. You have all-out attack with one special, yeah. a green bar, which is... Uh, your typical Capcom free segment, you can either spend a small little bit of your bar to do a special move or charge it up to free. Yeah. Or you've got custom combo where you activate it and you do a lot of combo that's not normally accessible. Okay. All that has now crossed over into things like Mortal Kombat where you choose your different types of um, moves that you attach to your characters. Street Fighters for future moves where they, they let you choose which special you want and what ability you have. Yeah, that that would Alpha Three was the first time it did that, along with things like Alpha Counters, Combo Breakers, and Air Combos, Air Raves. All of that started with the Alpha series, but was expanded upon in Alpha Three. Recovery. So before Alpha Three, when you got hit, you generally fall over, and that was it, and you got up the same way. Mm-hmm. In Alpha Three, you can delay how long you get off the floor. You can flip up in midair before you hit the floor. You can roll between towards your opponent before you start the combo again. All of that made you think more about defensive options. And again, Alpha Three gave you more options to say, look, every time you fall on the ground, the, the opponent's not going to be attacking the same way because they're cautious about what you might press next and what you might do. Yeah. And it, there's a difference between a fighting game that makes you go and play through the motions, this is the best combo and I want to go for it every time, Yeah. or a fighting game that basically makes you think, okay, every split second you make a choice. And that choice makes you either win or lose. Do you go in for attack? Do you back off? Do you respect what the person's going to do for you? Do you understand the matchups of what this game does and what moves this person has mixed in with the defensive options of how they might get off the ground or whatever? Yeah. Do you take the risk and try and beat them down and keep them down and, and all of that? Before Alpha 3, there was very little that put all of it together mm-hmm. and gave you all of these options in one game. And it took years for me to master it. Even like... Um, variations of your standard pokes and attacks like pressing forward with the medium button did with ken for example if you just press medium kick he just threw out a kick if you pressed forward he did this axe kick that came down on someone's head okay so if someone was blocking low too much you could do that and that would basically get them out of their block um all of that stuff every character 30 characters all had those things to learn Mm. and when you think about it with how much that is to learn in Street Fighter for free and all those modes and all of those mechanics, both advanced and small, people can play it from any kind of skill level and get an enjoyment out of it, whether it be two-player against the computer, where it would be just your one-player RPG mode, yeah. whether you really want to go in competitively and learn all those moves. You will put more hours, like I have, into Alpha 3 than you would any Final Fantasy replay, 
any kind of Metal Gear or Castlevania experience. No. And there was always something new to learn. Um, and that, if I had one Street Fighter out of all of them to play, even Street Fighter 4 and 5, it would be Alpha 3 because even if I'm on my own, Street Fighter 4 and 5 would get boring because they just don't have the one-player content that Alpha 3 does. No. Um, I, I could play Alpha 3 forever and, and never get bored because there's just so much to, to learn and play. So is Alpha, is, Alpha, <laughs> is Alpha 3 stuck on the PlayStation 1 or has it been sort of re-released? Because I know they've released about, like, I know like Street Fighter 2 has got like um, about 50 re-releases, so I know you can yeah. get that anywhere. But I never well, really hear about the Alpha series so much. Yes and no. So when Capcom tend to release Alpha 3, they do the arcade version. Okay. In all of their compilations, which means they don't have survival mode, they don't have world tour mode where you build your own RPG characters, they don't tend to have dramatic battle, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Now, there are exceptions to that in certain packages where they might have one or two or other. Mm-hmm. But to my knowledge, apart from the PSP version, there isn't a more complete edition than the one that was on the PlayStation 1. Now, there is a Sega Saturn version, mm-hmm. which has more options. Yeah. But that's only just been translated. Well, that hasn't been translated. So that means that playing the World Tour mode is very difficult because everything's in Japanese. So you don't actually okay. know what the items are telling you and how you equip them. Yeah. But it gives you more options. It, it is a better version of that game, yeah. hands down. But you need to learn Japanese or wait until someone's translated to fully enjoy the one-player experience. The PSP version with that god-awful D-pad is very difficult to play, even on a portable system as well. Yeah. So even though that's got more in that, again, there's something stopping you fully enjoying it. Plus, you need another person with a PSP in the game to play the two-player options. Yeah, I think. So to answer your question, there isn't a better, more complete version that gives you an all-round experience than the one that's on the PlayStation 1. I think um, I think Street Fighter Alpha 3 had the issue of being um, overshadowed by Tekken 3. Because Tekken Absolutely. 3 was kind of the the PlayStation 1 fighter that everyone talked about. Obviously, Street Fighter had its own... I think Street Fighter had a, a massive reputation on the SNES. And I think probably Mortal Kombat had more of a reputation on the um, on the Mega Drive due to the fact that it had, you know, blood and stuff in it. Whereas yeah. I feel like with with um, with the PlayStation 1, it, everyone sort of talked about Tekken 3 as kind of the landmark title, which is, is kind of a shame for Street Fighter Alpha 3 because in retrospect, I hear so many people talk about it with such fondness and it's weird that Capcom don't really celebrate the alpha series like they do their sort of mainline games well there's been a couple of kind of comebacks to it like there's been alpha collections on playstation 2 uh, it, it's it's all very kind of under the radar stuff they did yeah. released alpha collection on the playstation 2 but again it was the arcade versions not the home console versions with all these extra modes um, there's a lot of alpha characters that have been put into um the later games yeah. Like your rows and and things of that nature in five. So there there is callbacks to Alpha, but it's it's just that complete package that Alpha Three gave you that sort of got in the way. And you're right, Tekken Three is generally the benchmark for content that's in um, a, a fighting game on PlayStation One. But I just find bell to bell when you're playing Tekken, it's you know not as satisfying as doing 
your, your, your custom combos with the blue gauge or throwing a fireball or pulling off a super combo finisher where the screen explodes into lightning when you've hit you killed a boss Alpha, uh, Tekken 3 is more kind of rooted in tr- I don't know, it's not realistic but it's you know each button is a hat is a limb i think the playstation one hadn't quite mastered like free-flowing movement yet for you know 3d characters which i think was yeah. part of the problem because the thing is you if you can't make a a move look good then you can't really implement it into your game whereas obviously sprite art had been had, had been sort of going for years i mean even looking back at the super nintendo street fighter still looks you know, looks good. So, exactly, and I think that's why it holds up as well, and why I rate it so highly. I mean, Tekken Three has some great options as well. You had that Streets of Rage mode that they had, the beach volleyball mini game that everybody loved playing. But ultimately, I don't see myself going back and playing those games now because I have other options. But till this day, nobody has thought about doing this world tour RPG fighting game mode that they're having now for free and the dramatic battle where it's two players versus some of the hardest AI in in the uh, Street Fighter series again it's not very often an, an option or a mode comes up for that in fighting games so that's why it just holds such a prestigious place for me so not only is it a game where it its ideas are constantly borrowed from other games it's also all the, the probably uh, people may argue that Alpha 2 is the better one of the two because you have all the options in one. But if you start using your world tour character, you can actually break that kind of roof of what you could do in Alpha 2. Okay. But yeah, it's 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 borrowed heavily from loads of other ideas and lots of games use it as inspiration. It's the pinnacle of what you can get in a one player and two player 2D fighting game, and it's never been recreated on anything else. So that's that for free for me. Awesome. So now is the um, somewhat chaotic part of the uh, podcast, where oh, we God. try and take all the games and put them into a comprehensive list. Now, um, I feel like compared to the when we did the Super Nintendo games, I think we've got a little bit more crossover this time. It's a lot less... Um, I don't say polarizing, but but maybe I feel like you're probably more controversial than me when it comes to some of the games that you decide to pick. Uh, I think so. Especially, yeah. and I don't think I argue quite as much as I did with the SNES because um, of of what my sort of like. For example, if you said to me you wanted to leave Crash One free off and just do two, I wouldn't have a problem with that. No, you know, so that kind of stuff. But where are we start? We starting from top and going down, or are we start from ten and going up? Um. So at the minute, I've got a notepad up, and I have, I am jotting down every f- game that is on my list that is also on your list, and sort of going from there. So um, you mentioned Resident Evil Two, uh, Resident Evil Two. So, when I take into account all the games we've got in common, um, we have we have five. So, we have five games that we've both I've got on both our lists, which is quite good for us, considering how um, polarising uh, we usually are. So, yeah. um, I think the best way to do this is if we try and rank the games that we've got in common... And then sort of try and slot in our, I'd say our top two or three 
disregarding that to sort of try and organize it all makes um, sense to me um, so um i'm willing to put symphony of the night uh even though i personally disagree i'm willing to put symphony of the night above uh metal gear solid um because of its um metal gear solid being a bit more uh jank um so symphony of the night so what you think in castlevania is number one are you um what would you think would be number obviously you put street fighter alpha but would you put what do you put resident evil 2 as well it'd be unfair to say street fighter alpha 3 should be like you say in the top five because it's not really you've played and this is our list so i'd have to think that alpha if it's going to be on the list at all has to be six down so out out of symphony of the night metal gear solid crash 2 uh let's say final fantasy 9 um and resident evil 2 which one would you say is the best out of those I knowing the two of us, I would probably say Resident Evil Two should be top, but it's right. very closely followed by Castlevania. The only and reason I'm be... unsure about that is just because I put it at number ten. It did. So then, for me to put a, num- yeah. a number ten game at number one seems a bit disingenuous. It did, but I mean, I, I was constantly backwards and forwards about Castlevania being above Metal Gear because of what mm. Metal Gear is, and this is a top ten PlayStation One list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 I would struggle to justify Castlevania being better than Resident Evil. Okay. However, as it's our list, and like, because Resident Evil was very low on yours, I was quite surprised by that um, compared to some of the others you've mentioned. Like, yeah. But regardless, I think if we're taking in consideration everything that we've mentioned, I would probably say maybe Castlevania is number one, if we're honest about it. It, it personifies everything that we stand for gameplay wise and and mechanical wise i mean it hasn't got your story that you're looking for in a game has it Let's but I, it. I i do find the um the metroidvania genre so captivating like i've been playing through ori will of the wisps at the minute and i've i always i feel like no matter what game is in that genre whenever i pick it up i sort of find it quite enjoyable to blast through so i'm I, yeah and for me i think a game holds a lot more weight if you can go back to it and still enjoy it Whereas we both said that Metal Gear, as good as it was and is, it has began to age more than what I would I say. I think even though there's stuff that Symphony of the Night, I think there's stuff that's been done better since Symphony of the Night. But if you talk about how Symphony of the Night controls and stuff like that, I wouldn't say it's got really any cobwebs to shake off, even no. though there's stuff that's been done better since. I think, I think every... on that justification, when you look at things like Resident Evil, Metal Gear, Final Fantasy Nine, I'm guessing instead of Seven, yeah. we're using on this one. Um, Castlevania is the one that still holds up, and you can play, and you won't have that much mm-hmm. jank. Where there will definitely be something in the way of one of the other ones we've mentioned. So maybe it is. Maybe by default, Castlevania one is the number one. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's got it's got issues with it, but I wouldn't say its issues are tethered to its age. They're more so just things that it's it could have done better i don't think like they could i feel like if they re-released a game that looked like looked and played like castlevania symphony of the night i don't think it would it would be held under really much scrutiny so no well that's a pleasant surprise i quite like the idea that's number one to be fair um so uh uh metal gear solid do you i think i have to do it on on the basis that you rate Resident Evil so low in your list, um, 
Yeah, I think I. As much as I do feel that Resident Evil Two is a better game, um, it would be it would be nonsensical to sort of say, well, I think think it's number two on our group list, even though you've got it like number ten. So yeah. yeah. So if we say Symphony of the Night, Metal Gear Solid, Resident Evil Two, then what do you think is better, um, Crash Bandicoot Two or Final Fantasy Nine? That's like like comparing apples and oranges. Isn't it, it is, yeah. Um, um, Crash Bandicoot Two versus Final Fantasy Nine, yeah. Yeah. It's literally the personification of <laughs> gameplay versus story. Yeah. But I feel I'd rather wrong. I'd rather replay Crash Two if I'm if I'm playing that, the replayability game. I do, but when you think about like the epicness of Final Fantasy Nine and what it does, it yeah. almost makes you it makes it laughable that Crash Two could be above something that epic. But I tell you, I tell you what, I, I, no, actually, yeah, I'm going to go with Crash being number four, and I tell you why. It's because Crash does everything it does well, and doesn't. There's nothing in Crash Two that makes me want to go back and pull my hair out like the trance system we talked about in nine yeah like the cutscenes and the mini games and the things that just that typical final fantasy stuff that gets in the way yeah. i do think nine is better than seven mm-hmm. because of its pace problems that have been fixed but there's still the problems of the mini games getting in the way and how how nine constantly fights itself trying to be something it's not even if it just stuck to what it was better, you know, if it just stopped trying to pretend it was anything else but a JRPG, it would be better for it. But it, it tries to mix so many different. Yeah, I always say, I always say, Final Fantasy games, especially the PS One titles, would be better if they were ten hours shorter. Yeah, anyway. the, the perfect way to summon it up. Whereas I think Crash is a. It's an, although we've said that I can't pick anything particularly in Crash to make me think that's from Crash Two. It's not really got any of those memorable moments like Final Fantasy Nine has. No. But we're talking about video games here, and I would I'd play Crash, Crash Two fifty times over. Whereas if I played Final Fantasy Nine, I'd have to have a break and come back in a couple of year time. You know. Yeah. No. No, I agree. So now we're now that. we're coming to our top ones. I feel like by default, just because it's higher on your list, um, we'd have to put in Street Fighter Alpha Three. Um, well, maybe, but how, out of the ones that are not on the list, before we go into that, because I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. But out of the ones I've mentioned, you've played Tomb Raider, right? Uh, I've played, yeah, a little bit of it. I didn't. Didn't like it. Didn't okay. Like it. Mega Man Eight. Bit jank. I've not played Mag- Mega Man Eight. No. Oh right. Okay. You haven't played Product Raiden. No. Tekken Three, Time Crisis Ridge Racer. None of those. No, I feel. I feel like with kind of like with our I think I think some sometimes we have to just take things we put on our list on faith that they're they're worth playing because I feel like it would be a disservice to to you if we didn't put your number one game on the list just because I haven't played it okay what about Suicoden 2 then before I go and agree to that because I Uh, I I understand your logic but I think it'd be unfair to dismiss some of your higher rated games and put them yeah. like seven, eight, nine, ten on the list. If No, I, I, I think like again, Suikoden 2 compared to Street Fighter Alpha 3 is again, like 
apples to oranges and i think suikoden yeah. 2 similarly has sprite based art that and and gameplay that hasn't really aged um but for different reasons but i think due to just the fact that it's higher it's literally your number one on your list i think street fighter alpha 3 should be above suikoden 2 okay so number six this is, this is going quite well mike i'm quite worried by how smooth this no. process is going how, um, how many we die is that seven at six so we're now six. on number seven on our list okay so um what's your next one down on your list that we've not mentioned um tomb raider okay i've got my next one down on my list which is Unless you want to go into final fantasy 7 or crash one or three territory uh well crash three is is a bit lower on my list um so it seems a bit weird picking that one up um my next one down on my list is tony hawk pro skater 2 um yeah so that one so yeah that that's my next one down on so how are we how are we doing this are we are we treating Final Fantasy 7 and 9 as two separate games? Uh, I mean, that's that's what I've put it down as, just to, you know, so we're not splitting hairs. I, and you you said yourself that Final Fantasy 9 is better than Final Fantasy 7, just like you said Crash 2 is better than 1 and 3. So Agreed. But then when you start getting to this territory, are we thinking Crash 3, Final Fantasy 7... Sui Coden two and Pro and and Tony Hawks. Well, I think I think I mean on my list I put um, Sui Coden two above Final Fantasy seven and Crash Bandicoot three. So I don't feel bad putting that above um, Final Fantasy seven and the. Crash but you games. agree it should be in the top ten Final Fantasy seven. Seems oh, a bit weird that we wouldn't put that in there. Yeah, it seems weird, but like at the same time, I'd rather play Tony <laughs> I Hawk. <don't> care. <laughs> he says. <laughs> Like I'd rather, if I'm being completely honest, I'd rather play. I'd rather play as, as my my garbage creator character in Tony Hawk or Spider Man than I would um, play Final Fantasy VII. So it's, it's it's one I, of them. I do feel strange saying that Tony Hawk would be above Final Fantasy VII. I don't know if I can let you have that. I one, mean, Mike. I mean, oh, which one's got well, the best sound? You're very generous when you came in and you said, "Oh, Bill, you can have your Street Fighter Alpha free. I'll put it in number six because I haven't played it." You thought that would get you in the good books, so you could put your Tony Hawks in there above Final Fantasy VII. But I'm telling you now, no, that which, can't, which, you can't. Which one do would that. you rather replay? I think there's so many Tony Hawks games. Yeah. That it's. This is a PlayStation 1 list. Yes. And I think as good as Tony Hawk's and as fun as it is to play, yeah. I can play it for five minutes or five hours. Mm -hmm. Whereas Final Fantasy VII is it's the same argument as Metal Gear Solid. It's synonymous with the PlayStation 1. And regardless of how much fun you did and how many times you played it and how much you pushed the video and you think it's great, Tony Hawk is nothing on cloud. <laughs> it just you could do as many spins as you want but when i've got my massive omni slash fire blade beam and i'm doing knights of the round it just doesn't really compare i think i think though when you when you play as like a, a, a rodney like a rodney mullen you know just picking a random skater name like you feel like that could be a real character like you feel like you could see them in real life and they would actually oh, be able to skateboard you know? so hard you feel like 
you 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 play as that character and you go you imagine in your head what they could look like in real life you even like you know you feel like you could scroll down instagram and see their instagram feed and be like oh my god that's a real person like that's the level of realism that is in tony hawk like you know such we can't dismiss the franchise that created the character tony hawk so <laughs> and, and made him such a synonymous iconic video game character like you know like he's i feel like he's a real person like look at him you well, know? he's a real person <laughs> most of them are because they're based on skaters <laughs> and regardless of how many ollie flips and 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 dark side board slides that you unlock in tony hawks 2 it won't compare to the things you can do in Final Fantasy VII, whether that be picking up different weapons and materia and characters and their story beats and what happens to those characters and everything else. I'm, I know it's fun. I know it's enjoyable. But I'm not letting you have it, Mike. You I, can't. I, just think, I, I, just... I care about this podcast. I want this podcast to exist longer than, than maybe a, a few months <laughs> so if you're gonna kill it by putting Tony Hawk's in number seven over Final Fantasy seven, I think we need to have words, mate. So <laughs> people won't let us get away with it. So you're t- you're telling me that the Final Fantasy seven soundtrack is better than Rage Against the Machine and yes! Public Enemy? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> from a from a from a graphic standpoint. From an FMV standpoint, what looks better? What looks better, the FMVs in Tony Hawk or the FMVs in Final Fantasy VII? There you go. Put I, you I in your place. Comparing this to when Aerith got stabbed in the back and you didn't care yet, but when you dropped your ultimate combo, you thought Tony Hawk's had broken his leg and that was like soul crushing for you. I understand that you didn't have quite the same connection. I was more devastated. Was more, getting... more devastating than Aerith dying. <laughs> I got this... more devastated losing my monster combo than I did when Aerith got stabbed, alright? <laughs> no, I know that's what you're leaning towards, but no. Come on, Mike. This is a PlayStation 1 top 10 list. And you can't, no matter how much you, how hard you tried, no matter how much you plotted, convince me to put Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 above Final Fantasy 7. It just can't happen. You might be you might be able to pers- um, persuade me to put Sui Coden above Final Fantasy VII. I've not played that, so I can't argue the point. But all I will warn you is the more that we talk about the games that could be there instead, the further Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is getting out of the top ten that we're creating. So be careful. There's there's some massive uh, disrespect being thrown at not just me, but Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, all right? And the skating um, and generation. The, the skating oh. generation, you know. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. I can't talk you down from this ledge, Bill. So I'm going <laughs> to... Just just to, just so this podcast doesn't last another five hours. I've got to, I've got to applaud you for, for the effort you put in to try and convince <laughs> me that that was possible. But even even the little heart that you have inside your chest is, is sad. Really, Mike? Really? <laughs> Can you, can, are you are you kidding? I feel like this is. I feel like we've literally done a role reversal. There's me being like, ah, oh, but which one's the f- more fun game to play? And there's you going, oh yeah, but the story and the the. It is a bit like that. I, I totally understand what you're saying. And and for a moment there, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm contradicting myself. But if this is any other console, if this is any other top ten, I generally would have agreed with you. But because it's a PlayStation One top ten. 
We cannot not put Final... It's bad enough that a lot of people are going to think Final Fantasy VII is number seven in the list. We put it below Street Fighter Alpha 3, and I'm fighting that battle all every day of my life. <laughs> but there's no way I could let you put Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 in there and show my face as a game player, because it just wouldn't work. It's just not, <laughs> people wouldn't accept it. I've put it put, put it at seven again. I've, I've, I've done it again. It's fated. It's fated. It, that's where it deserves to be. It's it's not. It's it has its flaws. It has its problems. I mean, it's got it's got skateboarding in it, hasn't it? It's, it's got, got a snowboarding it's got bit. Snowboard, that's basically skateboarding. That's, rub- so it's that's technically rubbish. Technically, got Tony Hawk's. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two is technically in Final Fantasy Seven. So therefore, that's, that's everything you've true. just said is just wrong. I don't remember Spider Man being in in Final Fantasy Seven. So it's Spider Enemies. That's close enough. Final Fantasy Seven has everything, mate. There's, there's... I'd say the FMVs in in Tony Hawk look more realistic. So you know. Yeah, but no one got stabbed in Tony Hawk. Yeah, well, you know, they they got real injuries. You know, <laughs> they broke their legs <laughs> for their sport. Uh, but okay, right, right, okay. So we've we've slotted it in Final Fantasy VII. You can we, cry yourself to sleep. We've got three, oh, so you got three more um, spots. Um, so we said Suicoden, Crash Free, Pro Skater Two. They're really in contention here. I can't believe we won't put Tomb Raider there. But if it, if you're not a fan of Tomb Raider, it's not even in your top ten, maybe not even in your top fifteen. No, I I accept that. That's fair yeah. enough. I yeah. Uh... So, on term, in, if I'm going in order, um, sort of up, down from ones that haven't been mentioned yet, I've got Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, Crash Bandicoot 3, Silent Hill, and then sort of going on to my honourable mentions at that point. So, Sui Coden's there as well, though, isn't it? I didn't put, I didn't put Sui Coden on my list, funnily enough. Really? I don't, don't know why. I just... It, it, it's a, it's a, Sui Coden 2, right? Yeah. That's on the list. Well, that's what I'm saying. We haven't got it in our top ten yet. Sweet Coden Two is. Where have you put that? I put it um, just below um, Street Fighter Alpha Three. But you just said Final Fantasy Seven was number seven. Oh no, I guess that's I guess Final Fantasy Seven's number eight then. Um, <laughs> well, hang on a minute. You just you just literally you've forgotten about Sui Coden Two, haven't you? No, I put it on the list. I just didn't console you about it. I just, right. I just dumped what, it on what there. Is this? <laughs> you, you've just gone through. He literally just quoted people. I guess Final Fantasy Seven is number seven again. It's fated to be there. It's 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 destiny. Only for him to secretly put Sui Coden Two in there and not Final Fantasy Seven down to eight without telling me. What is this? I mean, who cares about Final Fantasy Seven? You know. <laughs> Okay, right. I I will trust you that Sui Coden is better than Final Fantasy Seven yeah. if you agree not to have Pro Skater Two on the list at all. What are you talking? You're talking about Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two. Yeah. Not even put which, on the list. Which would mean that Crash Crash Three is on the list. And, and oh god, Silent Hill though, and uh, I don't know. What else? What else did you have? There was something else. Well, that was it. That was that was it in terms of unless you're moving on to honourable mentions. But I don't. I personally think between us, we shouldn't have any honourable mentions on the list if we can get away with it. No, and and as much as I think Soul Reaver and Mega Man Eight are good games, I, I'd struggle to argue that they would be higher than the ones you've mentioned. I'd probably. Um, okay, so I'm putting Sui Coden. You want Sui Coden in seven? Yes. Saying. 
Okay, well, I've not played it, so sorry, guys. Final Fantasy For the VII. listeners of this podcast, I've not played it, so you might be right. And on that basis alone, I don't have a leg to stand on. So you can argue at him. Uh, Mike Retiques on YouTube. Feel free to, to bomb his channel with down thumbs down and dislikes and, and messages. I think he'd appreciate the traffic anyway. So... <laughs> So, Siri Coden 2 is number 7, Final Fantasy 7 is number 8, so yep. we've literally got Silent Hill, Crash 3, and Pro Skater 2. Yeah. What do you want to be? I think I think we should put Pro Skater 2 at number 9. I will let you have Pro Skater 2 okay. in number 10, if you can put Crash 3 in number 9, and leave off Silent Hill. Okay, I can deal with that. You can deal with that? Yep. There we go. That's how you that's how you talk someone off a ledge, people. <laughs> Skater. I don't know why I'm writing this down. It makes no difference to me. <laughs> do it anyway. Right, do you want to run run them through what we've got here? Okay, Mike? uh uh from from ten to one, we have Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. We have Crash Bandicoot's Warped. We have Final Fantasy VII, and all these all these next games will be better than Final Fantasy VII definitively. <laughs> Three Code and Two, Street Fighter Alpha Three, Final Fantasy IX, Crash Bandicoot Two, Resident Evil Two, Metal Gear Solid, and finally Castlevania Symphony of the Night. There we go. There we go. Any of those that you were like, I'm quite upset about, or I mean, let's put it this way: when we did our SNES list, some of our the ones near the top were like Castlevania Four and Super Punch Out, so we could have been doing <laughs> that's true. That's very true. <laughs> I I don't hold the PlayStation One as fondly as I do other consoles that I've played in the past. Yeah. Um, but I think that list that we've contrived there actually speaks quite long uh, maybe except for maybe not having Tomb Raider because of the legacy that Tomb Raider had on there yeah it speaks volumes as to what the personality of the PlayStation 1 is um, and there's quite a lot of variety in there really as well PlayStation kind of sold itself on variety like uh, Nintendo especially with the N64 had its its niche and PlayStation was very much a catch all that's why when you look at PlayStation exclusives, you have such a small, um, small set of games. Like you know, um, it, going through this list, Symphony of the Night is ex- was exclusive. Metal Gear Solid was exclusive. Resident Evil Two wasn't. Crash was. Um, you know, Final Fantasies were exclusive. Tony Hawk wasn't. Um, you're a little, you're a little bit wrong there. Castlevania was on the Sega Saturn. Oh Metal no, what? no, you're right. It was so. Resident Evil Two was exclusive for the longest time. It did um, get ported to the N64 though, and it was on the Dreamcast. Yeah, the end. It got to the N64 towards the end of its life though, and they mm. didn't even know if it was possible. The only reason they did it is because they found a way to compress the video so much. Yeah, but it, it was on. It was on the PlayStation 1 for the longest time, and it was an exclusive. But your Final Fantasies are right. Um, so it was it was the console where third-party publishers were fed up of Nintendo and Sega's BS and decided yeah. to make their own console. And as a result of that, it's this glorious, almost indie-type style to it all. 
Um, that, that that sounds weird in, in, to begin with, but because of Nintendo and Sega's policies, it was all, PlayStation One was almost like the indie darling, where all the games you wish you someone would make would make, and they did. Yeah, you know, horror games weren't a thing. RPGs weren't truly realized until then metal gear like who decided that was a good idea if you went to nintendo or sega they probably would have said no so that was kind of what the playstation one had um i do feel it loses a lot of its personality and not having those exclusive like your knights and your marios your banjo kazooies your golden eyes perfect Mm. darks whatever i think i think sony definitely shot themselves in the foot by dropping crash like because crash sort of left them as a mascot and it kind of like uh you know, like Crash is sort of seen as a PlayStation One mascot, but not like a PlayStation mascot in general. Which yeah. is which is a shame. One thing I did notice is four games on my list were all made by Konami. Now that yeah. just makes me sad because <laughs> <laughs> the state of them now. Um, Konami used to make good games. But yeah, you're not wrong. You've literally got looking at our list. We've literally got Konami, Capcom, um, Square Enix, um, Activision. Um, you know, you, um, and Sony. So it's a lot of sort of third parties, but but yeah, that's that's our definitive list. And t- to be honest, I uh, I don't think I'd change that list very much, uh, as opposed to the Super Nintendo one, which I think went a bit awry just because of how different our lists were. <laughs> I think um, I think this one was was a more civil civil one. I don't think there was that much infighting really which um... no and I, I think it's a list that basically says if you were going to get a playstation one today these games would be games that you would get to specifically play it yeah. like there's i know there's a few people that say why is time crisis not on there why is tekken 3 not on there they're they're staples of playstation one there are other versions in that franchise that have come out now that have almost replaced it where there is still a reason to play the original metal gear there's still a reason to play resident evil 2 and the Crash original platform games. Um, you know, even like I've mentioned with Street Fighter Alpha 3, yes, there's loads of other 2D fighters out there and Street Fighter games out there, but it's not the complete package that the PlayStation 1 version had. So, yeah, if you went around and you looked at your IGNs and your big name uh, website things, they would probably have a lot of more of the Tekken 3s, the Final Fantasy 8s, which you didn't even mention by design because it's not that good. Um, they would put it on the list because it's synonymous with the label of it. But when you're actually either a collector like me who goes back and plays these games nowadays, or you're like Mike who doesn't have nostalgia eyes, um, I do think these games hold up and they're still worth your time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think the PlayStation the the PlayStation is kind of lo- not looked on as fondly as other consoles of that generation because of its. Um, almost lack of identity, but I think if you want if you want to play a console in that generation, it, it's one of the the better choices if you want variety. Because like the N sixty four would did one thing and it did that one thing really well. Um, it had like it was mainly for like platformers, multiplayer games. Um, it had quite a lot of good first person shooters, but. Um, the PlayStation really was, and you know, the Saturn was sort of a 2D machine, but the PlayStation One was really sort of the amalgamation of of loads of different ideas. There's so many um, games on the PlayStation that, like Twisted Metal, that we didn't mention, or like 
a lot of puzzle games you just think how the what the hell is going on here like just so many experimental titles uh, so it was such it was you know definitely a unique console and i think even though i prefer a lot of the games on the ps2 i think the ps1 has a very distinct charm to it and how it looks and and how it how it plays that sort of keeps me coming back to it so. I think, yeah, the, the, where other consoles were struggling to figure out what 3D should be or trying to get their franchises from the past over to a 3D environment, PlayStation was was ahead of the game and was winning the console war. So that gave them more say, yeah, bring your console, give, it, give your game a go on our platform and you get some really strange ones. I do think a lot of the games are not fun. They, I don't think they were fun back then. And what people wanted to see was 3D graphics and FMV, regardless of how the gameplay was. But uh, if you if you dig through all of the nostalgia and the and the pile of dead games that are out there that never really made them found their audience, there are some amazing games in there that still hold up today. Um, but it's not as good as the Sega Saturn. Sorry, I've, 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 I've talked about the PlayStation One enough now. There is only one console that was better than than thrashed it in the 32-bit performance in that sega saturn so um mike unless you want to go on for another hour about why i argue the sega saturn is better than the playstation you better call this now yeah uh, look look bill me, look, bill i i take solace knowing that you're the only person in in the in the entire world that thinks that so um that's not the first time it won't be the last time my friend. <laughs> so, but yeah we'll, we'll uh the playstation will definitely will always be like the birth of cinematic storytelling and the birth of um you know one of the games that really pushed 3d forward uh, you know not maybe not as iconic as as your ocarina of times or your or your mario 64s but it was still still a worthy you know, part of our legacy and i don't think it's it's worth consistency i something. think as well isn't it yeah. that's the key for playstation one consistency but I think we better wrap this one up. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for tanging along to this extremely uh, long video. Um, if there are any other lists you'd like us to do, let us know. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, I believed. And thanks, Bill, for compiling a list, even though most of those games you just sort of looked at and going, oh, it was better on the Sega Saturn. But, I need to, know, I need to go, Mike, and take a bath. I feel dirty. That's, that's talking talking about the PlayStation One for this long is like sullied. It's, it's, I have to kneel in front of my God and pray as part of my religion to the Sega Saturn that I've like sinned for as long as I have. I hope you're happy in in making me do this. This has like been torture. Well, we've uh, to say. no. I didn't think so because you're just a horrible person. I just, so, I just um... think you've got what you deserve, Bill. And uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I see. Well, we'll see about that. Um, but no, it's it's fun. I I uh, I have a newfound appreciation for the PlayStation One uh, as I go back and play them. But more importantly, right now, um, I need to go and play some more games. So. Before we go and sound off, is what what are you up to, Mike? Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Mike Critiques, where I look at games I didn't grow up with to determine if they still hold up today. If you want retro content reviews, that sort of thing, that is where you can find me. 
Um, now, uh, give us your plugs, Bill, quick and brief, and then I think we should end this off with a game recommendation, as we are... That's true, we do, do that now, don't we? But if you like PlayStation 1, that must mean you like cinematic um, video games, which means you must like your stories, ergo, you must like books... And I actually have written a book called Raising Destiny, which is much better than any story that's on the PlayStation 1. Um, and you can find that out and either tell me I'm right or wrong by going to RagingDestiny.com and buying a copy yourself. Um, it's a martial arts fantasy fiction with loads of kick-ass characters and action throughout. So you go check that out. So what's your game recommendation then, Mike? Well, uh, my game recommendation... Well, um... First of all, if you agree with our list, uh, buy Bill's book. If you don't agree with our list... Also, buy Bill's book. That would be right. that would be you know nice. That's right. But uh, my, my recommendation. Um, now, I I think in in this fashion, I think it would be a miss for me to not recommend a PlayStation One game, seeing as that is what we are talking about. And if I were to pick a game that is not be is is not one that you can pick up a sort of remake of today, sort of go back and pick up. A PlayStation 1 disc and play that particular game I would have to go with Suikoden 2 with, with the caveat that if you really want to appreciate some of the additional characters and stuff it would be beneficial to play the first one there we go as for me uh, if I was talking to Mike I reckon you should play Croc Legend of the Go Gobos because um Ter- terribly underrated, Mike. And you should I already have played it, and it is absolutely terrible. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we didn't really talk about it too much. That's a shame. We'll have to bring that up in the future. We'll it's, I'm, I'm kind of torn on my recommendation at the moment because um, there, there's three games I thought you might have played some of them, but you haven't, which is Tomb Raider 1, Soul Reaver, or Mega Man 8. But I suppose Mega Man is very similar to a lot of the other Mega Man games out there, so... Uh, Apart from how gorgeous it looks, uh, that's its biggest selling point. And Tomb Raider, you kind of get an idea whether you like it or not. So I'm going to say Soul Reaver, um, yep. especially you, Mike. I think you should try it out just to, to talk about how janky it is and whether you get to the end like I did because it was touch or go there for a second. Um, but it's an underappreciated PlayStation 1 game, and I do think it would be higher on our overall top 10 list if more people had played it. So it Soul on, Reaver it is on is my awesome. bucket list, so I will get to it eventually. There you go. But I think it's time for us, Mike, to go play some bloody games. We definitely should play some bloody games. Let's go play some bloody games. So thank you for listening to the Pop Culture Podcast. We'll see you same time next week as me and Mike tackle a new topic. Goodbye from Bye-bye. me.